0: Like it's nineteen ninety nine. Podcast like it. You want a podcast like it? Podcast like it's nineteen ninety nine. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's nineteen ninety nine. Podcast like it. You want a podcast like it. Nineteen
2: ninety nine.
1: Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999. I'm your host, Phil Iskov, and uh, we don't have Kenny this week. So, you know, deal with it. But uh, similarly to the last time we didn't have Kenny, we have Jan here uh, to talk about uh, kind of the, the the death of Britpop, the Britpop movement, and uh, specifically Blur's album 13, which came out in 1999. Um. Jan, what are sort of just uh, broadly? I
3: feel like that wasn't really an introduction, Phil, but uh, I will say <laughs> I prefer to be called a uh, friend of the podcast. I feel like I've been introduced as friend of the podcast. Well, you're in also the, the, past. the
1: you, yes, you're the friend of the podcast, obviously, uh, past and future guests, but maybe most importantly, uh, you created our theme song and did our art for, and continue to do the art or key art, whatever you want to call it. I for. am the
3: artist creative director of your show I yeah think. basically artistic director
1: yeah okay yeah, yeah. I, would, I would agree with that um yeah the podcast really wouldn't exist uh without you if i if i'm being honest i think that the theme song and the art and the various things that come with it i think are very important. all right you've gone you've
3: gone too far i think you've recorded like eight you guys have done like over 100 episodes we have, i think we i have. spent 20, 20 minutes of artwork so. <laughs> but, but maybe you're right but
1: but, but yeah, I mean, f- fair enough. Uh, so the reason that uh, I wanted to have Yawn on for this episode isn't just because Yawn is uh, obviously a big fan of of Blur and and Britpop and what have you, but and the podcast and the podcast. Um, you were uh, the ambassador of Britpop for me, anyway. Um, I didn't really know much about that uh, that genre of music. Uh, it is arguably. One of my favorites now, or at least it's, uh, a handful of bands from from that movement, are some of my favorite bands. But I didn't really know much about them until uh, I met you in high school. Um, and I remember I have a vivid memory of uh, sitting in politics class. Mister, uh, what was his name? Was it politics? The guy just like let us play Risk for like three <laughs> months. Or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. That's uh, all we did. Yeah, I remember sitting in that class, and I had my disc man on it's my like desk. A Greek name.
3: Okay. some
1: of like that. Yeah, I don't
3: know. Uh, and I had my discman on the desk. He, o- he offered us a like a party at the end of the year, and like basically offered us beer. Like, yeah, it was
1: super weird. Be in
3: jail, yeah. <laughs> he might be. Um,
1: I don't know. But uh I remember sitting in class. I had my discman on my desk, and you you tapped it to make me open it to see what I was listening to. Classic yawn. Right, right, huh? already, already lording over me. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and he, and I opened the, the Dismant and I had uh, a Blur album. I believe it was their self titled, if I'm not mistaken. And you were like, yeah, I like that one fine, but I prefer their older stuff. And in my head, I was like, I didn't know they had older stuff. Like, I literally didn't know that they had anything prior to that. Uh, and that day, I went to whatever fucking music store it was at the time and bought like all of Blur stuff. Um, so yeah, I just didn't know anything about this really, and if I'm being completely honest, I might have even bought the self title because of song two, as sad, as that is to say, so I just didn't know really anything about this movement at all um, and then you know you obviously sort of ushered me into that into that world and and uh, I'm very thankful for it all right, so this is one of the reasons why I want to have you on, but also because you're a musician um and I wanted to sort of talk about. Not just Blur's kind of arc, but also just sort of the, the, the movement of Britpop, what, what all of that sort of meant at the time. Um, it was a big deal, obviously, in the UK. It was a pretty big deal in, the Canada, in Canada and in the US,
3: but not to the same degree. I mean, would well, you agree? It's funny you mention that because, uh, you know, as your listeners know, they know your history – where uh, <laughs> you're from Toronto, I am, and I I think Toronto had a more specific um, connection to Britpop. Uh, I think Toronto specifically sure. had a lot of specific like Britpop nights uh, on the weekend that people would go to, and there's sort, of, sort of a big community. And I think the bands would often come through here, uh, which is not to say that it maybe didn't have the same vibrancy in like New York and other big cities, uh, but outside of of Britain, I, I, I think Toronto was truly one of the hotbeds in, uh, certainly in the early to mid nineties, um, you know, and maybe after, you know, the song two and the explosion of sort of Brit pop, maybe it was a bit more mainstream, but I think early on, I think Toronto was sort of, uh, I don't know, maybe it wasn't. Uh, no, I mean, I, I, it certainly feels like, again, from the,
1: from the cursory research that I did before this episode, it, it, it feels like basically the time span of Britpop is considered to be from 93 to 97. Um, It feels like Blur self-titled is sort of the beginning of the end. It's almost concurrent with Be Here Now, the Oasis album that was a pretty big flop and was sort of had a very high expectations attached to it. It feels like that was sort of the beginning of the end. Once Blur kind of turned their back on it, it kind of went away.
3: Well... It, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was sort of thinking about it in, in the same. I mean, there's no question that Britpop was within the 90s and didn't uh, didn't sort of stray before or after. But I was thinking about that same thing of like, what what were the first albums and what were like the last albums and what was the arc? And uh, as you sort of asked me to make some lists, one of we'll, my we'll get lists, to the lists. Oh, we'll get to the list. <laughs> and I, I did want to maybe at the early yes, on yes, do a yes, table, yeah. of do a table of content, table of contents of lists. Yeah, but yeah. then I'm going to tell you about what I wrote as the four phases of Britpop. Because I think there's oh, wow. four distinct phases. Great. Fantastic. I My mean, first table of contents. Yeah. I mean, basically, I, I, a lot of lists. <laughs>
1: Uh, I mean, ultimately we just, we're going to talk about the history of Britpop a little bit and just sort of to give people a cursory knowledge of, of sort of what, what this movement was and then, uh, kind of its peak, which really was sort of this, the quote unquote battle of Britpop that NME and, and various sort of UK magazines sort of built up to be this thing. And then, and then it's sort of decline in its, its ultimate death. I mean, it's, it's a brief moment in, in a brief sort of genre, um, Starts in the mid '90s, as mentioned. Mostly, well, Phil. We're yes.
3: just. I want to. Yeah. I'm going to get into that. Okay. I want okay. you to tell the okay. people
1: about the lists. I don't. We, the lists. The lists. You just want me to talk about the fact that we're going to do <laughs> top five lists of. The, okay, okay, yeah. Okay. We're going to do top five Britpop songs. We're going to do top yeah. five Britpop albums. Top five okay. Blur songs. Top yeah. five Blur albums. Those are going to yeah. be the. Those are lists I have. I don't know what list you have.
3: No, that's – I followed your list. Great, great. That, That's my list of lists. Great. Also, we obviously need to tie this to your podcast, which is 1999, and spend a bit of time talking sure. about 13, which came out that year. Which we definitely will do. Um, so here, here, as far as I'm concerned, are the four <laughs> phases Please. of Britpop. Bring it. You ready? Yeah, and yeah. and this, is, this is what you're talking about. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. No, it's perfect. Phase. It's perfect. Okay. So, though I said Britpop was within the 90s, I would consider their uh, – pre brit pop period which is essential okay. for brit pop sure so that would be like 89 90 91 mm-hmm. in which you know you have this manchester music explosion you have baggy and you know, hacienda and mm-hmm. all this dance club music mixed with you know stone roses and sure. happy mondays right. uh and, and was it refer to as the Madchester scene is that what? now that, that would, is correct okay, That's, cool. that is correct okay and, uh, and and a lot of those bands would transition. I mean, Happy Mondays would become Black Grape in sort of that Britpop era. And mm-hmm. Charlatan certainly would put out some kind of classic Britpop-y albums later. But that's the sort of pre-era. And I'm going to try and link uh, <laughs> Blur into each of these eras. So pre-Britpop, Blur had released their first album in 91, Leisure. And that's sort of them taking the coattails of this Mad ch- Chester uh dance sort of thing that's them kind of imitating sure. that that and that so again pre Britpop, pop but it's a phase of the cycle
1: now also second, you mentioned
3: yep. so leisure they did a lot of shit to damon's
1: voice on leisure correct i mean was that it really doesn't sound like a blur album i mean in terms of like modifications of his actual voice he doesn't sound like he does in in future albums am
3: i am i incorrect in that assessment I think I was just listening to that album again today, and I I have a feeling that a lot of it is the style of singing. I would think it right. was like less like punky and aggressive than some of the other stuff. Okay, uh, I think there's a lot more reverb and, and and because it was influenced by a lot of like shoegaze albums as well. So I think it uh, it it was, uh, but it, he certainly didn't have the confidence. Uh, I mean, yeah. I don't yeah. think there was like auto tune back then, so I don't think that was the case. But okay. uh Phase it just sounded
1: it, it just sounded very. He just I don't know. He sounded like he was. Like they, It might be what you're saying, which is the way he's actually singing, let alone to, as opposed to some sort of, you know, um, augmentation to his voice. But either way, he sounded just different to me. It just didn't, think- it doesn't sound like him.
3: I think there's a lot of doubling of his vocals so right. like a recording technique would be like singing two or three times the same part to mm-hmm. create sort of a bigger uh sound a, a, like sure. a bigger sonic tone sure. uh, and in doing that often you have to almost dial back your uh your characteristics in your vocal you want to be as consistent the whole time as possible so it almost maybe sounds a bit more boring sure. I don't know did you Phase think that the, that the Smiths oh.
1: were also part of that uh sort of preamble to it
3: or not No, because they would have even been before that. I I I feel like the so they they are pre (laughs) Pre pre your first phase. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. Okay. Phase two, phase two, then, is, like, early Britpop, and this would, like, be the era of uh, Blair's second album, Modern Life is Rubbish, and this is sort of, uh, this is, like, the first real phase, I guess, of Britpop, but it's phase two in my hypothetical list here, okay. in which uh, the birth of Britpop, where it, it's almost like a reaction to what's happening in America. This is, like, mm-hmm. post-Nirvana, or or, like, basically at the same time. Where bands from Britain, maybe touring in New York, or whatever, aren't mm-hmm. getting the attention that they want, so that the, they're they're trying to create their own bubble, uh, they're trying to create this very sort of, I don't know, British sound to their music. They're trying to have more, you know, 70s punk influences, uh, Madness influences, right. stuff that's very different from what's happening. Uh, if anything, the first Blur album, Leisure, is is almost kind of like a sounds maybe a nirvana-ish more so than any other it's very like shoegazy it's very uh i don't know well they they so in some sense that i read uh
1: damon talked about how modern life is rubbish was really kind of a reaction to their tour of the of the u.s previous to that so it was very sort of this it it felt a lot more reactionary to the grunge movement than uh trying to go along with it like trying to do you know what i mean like they they were trying to sort of be the, the, the opposite to that so yeah
3: And I think in that same early Britpop uh, era, you know, you'd have like the first Oasis album. I think it was kind of like bands that didn't necessarily know what they were doing, but they were trying to do something. You know, they're trying to do something different, Mm -hmm. Uh, which brings us to uh, phase three. Sure. pre-Britpop one, early Britpop two, (laughs) and then phase three is peak Britpop. So I think that's when the bands are so self-aware that Britpop is a thing. And it's like where you get Park Life and yeah, Great yeah. Escape and What's the Story, Morning Glory. And like those are like a uh, different class. You get the huge Britpop albums at that point, right? Yeah, and yeah. that's probably like 95, 96 is the peak, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then kind of what you were saying before, Phase 4, uh, I would call post-Britpop. And these are post-Britpop is uh, is the, Brit, the classic Britpop bands reacting to Britpop yeah. or, you know, creating this like... You know Blur, of course, making their self-titled or Thirteen, for that matter, are it, ironically going back to this American sound. Yep. uh And you know other super furry animals, other bands, kind of creating reactionary albums. I mean, they still live in the Britpop bubble. Yeah. uh But then, yeah, but certainly by '99, it's over. Like, it, yeah. There, there's nothing. There's no single album in the year 2000 that I think you could be like identify as like a Britpop sounding album. And then, of course, there's a new wave of Coldplay and other bands that start coming out. But it's so right. It's so definitive it's so different from well yeah i mean you, you before that it does feel a little bit like
1: so there are bands that feel outside this bubble that are trying to sort of push against the label or moniker of Britpop. pop to be sure radiohead maybe being the most obvious one to a certain degree i mean the bends comes out in 95 so it's in there it's in the sort of the 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 pot of all that stuff but the sound is not nearly it's just not a pop album do you know what i mean like it, it it's I love the bends, but it doesn't necessarily feel like the most quintessential Britpop album, even though they are British and it comes out right in the the
3: peak of all of that. You're but, right, though. It's like no, AI, yeah, no one goes to Radiohead as a Britpop band. No, in No, right? right.
1: And then like '97, you've obviously got OK Computer and Urban Hymns, and then you've got Travis, Stereophonics, Coldplay, all that shit that comes out after that. That yeah, it's it's just it's very interesting how there's it. And it's why I wanted to talk about this, because it really was a moment. Uh, it wasn't very long. It was to your point, like the peak is 95, 96. You know, you're really talking about and and then these bands either get bored of it, Blur in particular, just sort of being like, we don't really want to do this anymore, and Oasis really just having no runway left and not having really anything else to do. And then bands like Pope, which I still really like Pope, and I think this is hardcore is still a great album, but it's not a very poppy album. Like it's very kind of dour and grim, and and sort of feels like the end of something for them as well. So it almost feels like the media kind of kind of ruined it. You know what I mean? Like who knows what could have come of it if they didn't try to make it into this seismic event? Like had the Battle well, of Britpop not happened, I don't know that we would actually if these bands would have gone the way they
3: went. I mean, the media at the time is worth mentioning. I think uh, the, I mean. That was back in the day of going out to buy magazines at the yeah. magazine store. And yeah. I remember the, the yeah. popular ones were Q and Select and Vox. Sure. Those were the classic, you know, Sure. Britpop, I guess, magazines that you'd go and, like and sometimes enemy as well, spend sure. like $8. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Enemy for sure. Yeah. Uh, and again, pre, uh, pre-internet, pre-blog. So you'd yeah. have to sort of really go out of, out of your way to like do the research. But then you'd also have to go out of your way to like purchase the purchase CD the and like yeah. listen to every song and yeah. not just like – and on top of that, you're buying EPs and singles. So, I yeah. mean, I mean, these bands had a massive catalog of music, and Blur certainly had an intense catalog of of tunes. Uh, I mean, I think you getting into Blur maybe a little bit later on, and I had sort of older cousins and siblings and yep. friends that led me into it really early on. Um, I, it, it, it certainly felt like during the explosion of alternative music when it first sort of started in the early nineties, um, it, that became kind of like really tiresome really quickly and to, for me, Mm -hmm. and to have, uh, something else to turn to that was like current music. That was like this, like British stuff happening, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, really felt like the alter- alternative, you know, that was the alternative. And at the, at, at, certainly in the earlier days, it was it was like the secret music. like you'd have to go ask a, you know, CD store if they had leisure or modern life is rubbish and they wouldn't even know the band you're talking about. So uh, it felt kind of special, certainly early on. And then, it uh, you know, I don't know what this particular song maybe girls and boys that really started to at least break in north american mm-hmm. radio mm-hmm. and obviously by the time time song Two is out i mean that was yeah, that was it huge for uh, well and wonderwall obviously a, yeah a big deal too but it, it's
1: it's interesting to what you're talking about in sense of it was an alternative to grunge which at the time was and i'm i'm not sitting here shitting on grunge but like it wasn't a fun movement i mean it was a it was dark and it was it was, grim. was about grunge or yeah, britpop grunge i'm talking right. about the fact that britpop was the alternative to that so at the right. time you have this this sort of overpowering very sort of inward looking dark music which people were all about and then you had Britpop on the other side of it which was esoteric and interesting and 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 intellectual in its own way but also was about like having fun with your friends and it was about it was influenced by you know 60s music be it you know whatever bands you want to you know you want to associate with it the kinks or whatever it is and there's just it's just really interesting that it existed in this moment and that people like yourself and myself you obviously when you were a little younger than I was but it, it, it sort of tapped into something which was there can be good fun music. It doesn't necessarily need to be this sort of dark um, confessional kind of what have you. When it came to Nirvana or whatever the the sort of grunge bands at the time were, I just think it's I just think it's an interesting sort of uh, flip side to the coin. And and, well, and yeah, go ahead.
3: No, I was just gonna, well, what you were saying though the the media is sort of maybe ruining Britpop. Obviously, also the yeah. media is the one that created Britpop. Yeah. uh is also. Obviously, the ones who created the image that, you know, became sort of the iconic fashion of going into your like, you know, dad's closet and finding his old Adidas jacket or, yeah. you know, not that my dad was that cool. Actually, he did have a cool Adidas jacket. <laughs> uh, or, or whatever, yeah. you know, it, it's funny because ultimately they both follow the same 90s trends of vintage clothing shopping with yeah. both grunge and Britpop, uh, you know, dis- distorted, overdriven guitars. And I mean... It, aesthetically if you take a, a step back it's kind of the same really but yeah. i know what you're saying in terms of uh brit maybe being a bit more sort of purposely cheeky and fun and uh well yeah, and also just really like use... the mod element of it does make it
1: more fashionable i mean i don't i don't want to take anything away from uh you know lumber jackets and baggy shitty dirty jeans but like the grunge movement (laughs) was not an aesthetically pleasing movement um so there is something to be said for Britpop being just a little cooler in a different way I don't want to say cooler but you know what I mean like more fashionable anyway
3: there was definitely like uh I guess I think British music I, I think it sort of took from maybe more uh, musical styles, more references of the past, but there were such also specific niches from like ska to punk yeah. to like skinhead culture, the good sure. one. And, uh, you know, uh, sixties and, and yeah. all that stuff. I mean, in Toronto, you and I used to go to this great set or every Saturday night in Toronto I used to rotate around the city a night called blow up. And it, that must've been like the biggest Brit pop night outside of England in North or maybe in the world. Uh, you know, and that certainly at its peak, I mean, you yeah. maybe have close to a thousand people showing up to this like uh, bar dancing to to Britpop, yeah. but they'd always like kind of separate it, and it was a uh, you know he's become a good friend uh, DJ Davey Love, uh, who who kind of created on one floor there was uh, old mod sixties music, and the other floor is Britpop. And I think at the time when he first started this night, he was probably started as this mod 60s night. And then Brit started to emerge. And there's like this new generation of people coming to this night. So you'd have this like hilarious mix of these like old school mods with their scooters and stuff outside. <laughs> and these like young kids like me who are like, you know, 15, 16, trying to like sneak into a bar to dance yeah. to music that they loved. Uh, and it was a time to be alive. It's pretty. I mean, it's it's.
1: I think that's sort of I mean, it's one of the reasons why I want to do this episode is that it, it it felt really special. I mean, again, you were you were a part of it uh, long before I was, but you know, when I was a part of it, it did feel like I don't know, it just it felt like you were a part of something special that not a ton of people might have known about or or uh music that maybe not a lot of people knew about. And I don't know, it, it just it, it was it just felt really uh really fun and exciting at a time when um, I thought that music was going through a lot of changes. There was a lot of different types of music. It would ultimately, in the 2000s, become, you know, fucking Britney Spears and and the Spice Girls would usher that into a certain degree. Like, there was going through a lot of transitions, but uh, it was a nice moment. That 95,
3: 96, 97 moment was really exciting. Now, that being said, I think it's also worth mentioning Mm -hmm. that kind of, like, looking back now, there's, like... Well, obviously, there's a lot of shit bands, uh, but also... (laughs) Uh, there's sort of a bit of cringiness looking back at the whole thing now. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a couple of different ways you could look at it. You could sort of like, well, look at like a Brexit and, and, and what, like that kind of weird national, I'm sure I mean, a, the fact that we were being like nationalistic to a country that wasn't ours, whatever. That was one thing. Uh, and not that, <laughs> well, no, I don't only, but kind of, I think... mean, they did birth Canada <laughs> technically. <laughs> okay. So yeah, it's a bit of monarchy. <laughs> sure. Uh, but obviously, there was a huge lack of diversity, yeah, and yeah, was—it yeah. Uh, was like a lot of white dudes, you know, complaining yeah. about whatever. Yes, and yes. and that's kind of like the Ugh, kind of factor. Um, I, I, there, I will admit, there actually were a lot of like women in Britpop. I think, mm-hmm. uh, but a lack of diversity for sure. So,
1: yeah, it, it yes, no, I would, I hundred percent agree with that. That's actually an interesting uh, to tap into, sort of. Um, so.
3: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash achieve today.
1: I'm going to read a little bit about uh, about BritPuff for a quick second here. That The time span of BritPuff is generally considered from 93 to 97. His peak years were in 94, 95. Um... While music was the main focus, fashion art politics got involved with Tony Blair and New Labor aligning themselves with the movement, which I think is a part of this too, which is the 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 blur versus oasis situation was also was also a uh, geographical one as well a little bit of this sort of north versus south there was a little bit of class sort of mixed into it as well which I think is interesting For sure. um, it, it became very sort of they became teams in a weird way and, and we all know how the UK is with soccer and various other things but it does feel like um, there were factions in a weird way and I ultimately think that was its downfall I think that by creating this sort of us or them thing you were either Oasis or you were Blur I think is what got them a lot of ink at the moment, and ultimately killed the movement. <laughs> like I think it's very that, Bur- Bernie Biden, you know. <laughs> uh, sure, like uh, <laughs> same team, but uh... yeah, kind of yeah. I mean that that in that sense is true, which is same team, which is we just like don't we just want good music? Like who gives a shit? Like you know what I mean? But I think that it's interesting that. Pitting these two people against each other, who, who, by the way, are now fucking friends, like yeah. Damon and who I'm and
3: sure at the time were probably <laughs> pr- much closer probably, than
1: but it's just like on some level, maybe they were taking the piss out of it, and maybe they saw an opportunity to to make a big, you know, to to get a lot of articles written about them, and to make their music sell, and 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 it did work in that capacity to so a certain degree, but it also kind of cannibalized the movement. Like it's funny that the 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 360 that. Blur Takes, which is – they're essentially – their second album is is a reaction against the American sound. And then they basically go through Britpop and come in on the other side making music
3: that sounds like American sound. I just think it's kind of ridiculous. No, it's great. So So, Battle of Britpop, I mean that would have been peak era – yes uh, so that, that would is have been phase, phase, three phase, yes, phase
1: three as far as you're concerned Do you i remember
3: what that so explain the battle of the brit yeah. to those who may not uh have so the remembered. battle
1: of Britpop uh basically was a chart battle between blur and oasis uh brought to the brought to the forefront of the sort of the british press in 1995 um basically the the bands were both initially praised in the media and then tensions between the two increased when the media created tensions between them by pitting them against one another. Um, they became engaged in what Enemy dubbed uh, on the cover of its uh, August 12th issue, the British Heavyweight Championship, uh, with the pending release of Blur's single Country House and Oasis' single Roll With It on the same day.
3: So if I may – I just Please, want to pause yeah. right there. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Because, like, in retrospect <laughs> – they're not. Neither of those are great songs. I was just gonna say they're <laughs> neither of them are good songs. So again, this is like peak Hop, <laughs> in which the 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 media, I guess, is it, or, or the bands themselves have have fed into this like bullshit so yes. much yes. that they're that rather than trying to create like they kind of at that point are creating the, their blandest music in that they're 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 yeah. just they're most generic.
1: Up. I mean it's 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 almost it's almost a parody of themselves. Like yeah. if you look at yeah, those two exactly. singles, they are parodies of what both those bands are trying to do, uh, which is kind of absurd in its own right. I mean, Country House in particular is a is not a good Blur song, and everything about it is just very sort of I don't know. Uh,
3: it's a little bit embarrassing, like kind of like it uh, is. And, and and roll with it. I mean, I mean they, they both uh, are exactly what you might expect from both bands, and yep. but they are. Just boring because that's exactly what they are. They're yeah. kind of they feel unimaginative in retrospect. Anyway, who won who won the battle?
1: Uh well, technically Blur won the battle by about fifty thousand copies. Uh Country's uh, House sold two hundred and seventy-four thousand copies, roll With it sold about two hundred and sixteen thousand copies, charting at number one and two. Um, but I mean, and this is where sort of the the rubber meets the road a little bit. Ultimately, with the next singles, which I believe were the Universal versus Wonderwall and Wonderwall kicks the living shit out of the Universal. Uh, I love the Universal, by the way, but um, that was sort of like the ballads, right? They were like the two they went with the two uh, sort of overt singles out of the gate. Then they go with these two ballads and Wonderwall takes the world by storm. I mean, it was a continues to be a massive song. Um and yeah. makes What's the Story Morning Glory a much bigger album than The Great Escape could ever be. Um, and Oasis never really could follow it up, and then Blur follows it up with their self-titled, and Song 2 is arguably bigger than Wonderwall. So I, I don't know. It all kind of works out in the wash, and they're friends now, so like, who fucking cares? But, but there is something funny about the fact that Blur is still a band that matters. I would argue they still matter.
3: I don't think Oasis matters. Phil, we have so many lists. I don't want to just have a section. I mean, trust me. We only have one person listening. It's probably me or you <laughs> at this it's point. It's our friends and family. But let's sp- – I <laughs> doubt friends and family. I want to sprinkle a couple of our sure, lists. Sure, sure. Because I don't want to just like back end You don't end want to back end it?
1: Okay. You wanna, you so want... Do you think it's sure. better?
3: Wh- wh- where's a good place to start? Pick a list. Um. I feel like it's a good way to sort of like – Yeah, no, I agree with you. Why don't we do, we do top
1: five Britpop albums? Britpop albums. Yeah, let's start there. You don't want to start there. The look on Yon's well, face right now is not one. That, I just feel you like obviously I have, have an answer you want.
3: I have unconventional uh, stuff on that list, so let's let's I, go Britpop songs. Okay, let's do Britpop songs.
1: Uh, you want to start from the bottom, work our way up, or start from the top and go down? You mean five to one? Five to one is what I was thinking. Let's do it. Okay, uh, I'll go first. Uh, okay. Oasis, Live Forever. Interesting. I mean, here's – I want to – before we get into –
3: Can I also ask you another – I should have gone over the rules. Whenever you had a non-blur-related list, did you exclude blur from that list? Uh, I
1: I did for the most part, but I didn't when it came to these songs. Okay. Uh, I also just – I also just want to preface this by saying I was incredibly stressed out writing these lists because uh, I don't go as deep on this music as Yon does. Yon is a musician and obviously knows these bands better than I do. So I have no doubt I will get any number of shit from you for putting any of these things on this list. Um, But I'm just prefacing by saying that like, I think you'll have some deeper cuts than I will. And I'm going to probably tend to go with things that are a little more obvious.
3: Well, it depends on how you, I mean, you could write one of these lists in so many different ways. <laughs> I agree. I, I mean, am I am I to write what I think are the best songs, or what are uh, the definitive songs, or what are my favorite songs? I, and tried I kind to, of tried to combine them all. I was
1: just gonna say, I tried to do that. I tried to mix it a little bit. Some of them are like, you know, there's a couple songs on here that I think are are so are quintessentially this movement and also my favorite songs. So they kind of work for both. I don't know i i think there's just sort of here's the other thing too with these lists that are a little tricky is that like we just talked about it earlier like there are bands that came out with music from britain at this time that might not necessarily be considered a Britpop album that i might have included so i don't know
3: let's just let's yeah, just i like keep that. I okay. that i like that okay. anyway so what's yours your number was what oasis, oasis live, forever? live
1: forever was was yes
3: Okay, and that was first album Oasis. That's first
1: album. That is uh, probably maybe is that
3: the name of that album? Am I making
1: definitely, it? definitely maybe. maybe probably maybe is the Ryan Reynolds movie? I think
3: no, it was also definitely maybe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, fine. Definitely Friend maybe of the
3: podcast uh, Leanne Bellapin is in that movie.
1: Was she? Yeah, she's gonna be on this podcast. Um, I, I, yeah, I was trying to find the Oasis song that that felt the most sort of encapsulated the band the most. And I gotta be honest, I went through "What's the Story, Morning Glory," and there aren't any songs on that album other than "Wonderwall" that really jump out at me. I mean, "Champagne Supernova" sort of, but this—I don't know. This is some my might say it's pretty big. On it's that a now. good, it's a good song. Um, but yeah, "Live Forever" just felt like the the song for them and for me, and it's a great song. So that's why. I And love you're it. like a ballad guy. I do like ballads.
3: Um, I. Uh... Have you ever played that game, Oh, God. or do you know that game? It's like first album, first song. Yes, where you find a band whose like whose best song are the track on their debut album. Really? No. So like, uh, classic examples would be like. So again, we're looking for like an artist whose debut album first song is like probably one of their best, right? So Some like, Jimi Hendrix, Jimi Hendrix, Purple Haze. Sure. Um, sure. Ramones, Split Screen, Bob. Uh, NWA, uh, Straight Out of Compton. It's like heavy hitter songs right out of the gate. So, guess what? <laughs> Number five, yeah. Oasis for me. Which one? I, Rock and Roll Star was the first uh, one on Definitely sure, Maybe. Sure. And that was a, that was a heavy hitter. Uh, it's a great and, song. And uh, classic Britpop. Track. Is, it a, is it
1: a good album still? Like, as an album? Like, I'll actually, I will go as far as to say, I think What's the Story Morning Glory is a really solid album, like top to bottom. There's just not a lot of songs that jump out from it is definitely maybe a great album still. I, I haven't listened to it in quite some time.
3: I think it's like Oasis' most original in that uh, it's it's less obvious the shit that they're trying to rip off on that album. You know, <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, and enough. it's just like, I remember when that, I was like 94, 95, when, that, mm-hmm. 94, when it came out, and I and I remember I was like 14 and prime and like ready for something like that. And it was like it felt edgy compared to the sure. kind of like wissy we'll Britpop that had been like previously coming out. And it had teeth. Uh and I, I I think that's the the band probably at their best. I mean, I don't know, maybe there's like greater moments, but sure. uh, I, I think it holds up. I think it really holds up.
1: Um so number four for me is uh Suede's Trash.
3: That's a good one. Uh
1: that album, I, I mean, I think that album is really great from beginning to end. I don't think that I don't think there are, I've looked at many Britpop lists and there are other Suede albums that are mentioned. This album never coming up is almost never mentioned in any list. It's always their earlier stuff. Which I think is interesting. Um because I like the earlier stuff just fine, but but that's the album for me, for them.
3: Like that's the quintessential Suede album for me anyway. I don't know how you feel about them as a band. Well we were certainly like I think coming up was like 96 yeah and that would be in uh, i guess my phase three which is sure. peak Britpop. brit <laughs> pop sure so it's like when bands are the most but we're
0: like yeah i think you
3: always have to take into account how old were you you were 16 was that 16. was like sure. the perfect age for like a song like that that had like everything that was like great and fun about yeah. brit pop this yep. band you know um yeah it's absolutely. a great it's it's uh, yeah i
1: uh I love that album, and and it's 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 weird. You uh, actually can't buy that album on iTunes. Um,
3: Interesting. I don't. Yeah, there's, I, there's certain some... ones. that are, it's There's weird. a lot of these like uh, of that era. There's certain like you know you you might find a few albums from a band, but not like one particular one. Like Charlatans, also you right. can't find telling stories. But you can find almost everything else. It's weird. It's weird. So what's your number four? Uh, I put an Elastica song nice. and it was it was not connection. I put Stutter, which is okay. like two minutes of pop perfection. <laughs> uh I think that originally their single came out like apparently years before the album, which came out in ninety five. Uh but the single uh came out in ninety three and they I think they basically only put out one album in like the nineties. I think they had like follow up stuff like way later. Yeah. Uh but that was, you know, female fronted uh yes. band of the era. It's I mean I I mean I will talk about that album at a later date
1: because it is on one of my lists. But oh, it, it okay. is a, uh, I mean, I, I think that album is to your point. The the two and a half minutes of pop Like every song on that album is under three minutes. Uh, it's just it's just it's, it's a it's a fucking great album. And she was so cool. And her and Damon were together for for it seems during peak Brit pop, they were sort of the it felt like they were the king and queen of it. But you know who like Damon stole her from? Uh, the guy from Suede yeah brett anderson from Sway. it's like a perfect segue <laughs> um so number three i have a morrissey song <laughs> um the last of the famous international playboys huh i just think it's a great song and it's a song it that, that i immediately associate with with blow up as you were talking about um and and just kind of i don't know it's 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 I don't particularly particularly love Morrissey's output as a solo artist that much or as a human. Or, or <laughs> yeah.
3: because all political.
1: Um, but that song is just a great fucking song. What year did that come at? I think it's like I think it's ninety. It's like early. So it might not actually so, I mean, technically be in this movie okay. is what you're saying.
3: But <laughs> maybe you'd bring it up because that would be like if we were a blow up but there's other Brit pop nights in toronto that were very popular there's yeah. one that came later called mod club there was one at yeah, yeah. like, the study hall pop scene yeah, yep, yep uh and they would play these songs so you just associate them always with the Britpop. pop and yep. uh phil look it up he, uh, wh- wh- i what think year i at? think it's 90 um
1: but you can you you've got a computer in front of you 89 man oh wow yeah. okay well there you go so it's not i mean yeah I guess technically it's not a Britpop song, but it might have influenced
3: Britpop. So there you go. Oh, for sure. But yeah. it was definitely definitely part of the uh, the bigger picture. We're yeah. in number three. We're uh, yeah, you're number three. All right. Um, <laughs> I put a Supergrass song for number three, mm-hmm. and uh, I picked uh, a song. That is one of my personal favorites of the band, not from my favorite album and not from my it's it stands out on its own. I don't know if you remember Richard the Third. It's like a very heavy hitting. I don't know that song that well. My apologies. Uh, it was off of 97's In It For The Money. Heavy as fuck. The band has aged so well. Uh, you can listen to any of those albums. And they sound perfect still. Uh, there's a yeah, theremin th- solo in Richard the ther- Third. So They I never should... I feel like they never really got their
1: due. Am I crazy? Like I think that they are a, a unbelievably solid band. Like that whole discography is filled with great shit, yeah. and it feels like they never fully got. They had what was it um on the stereo? Uh, that that was a pretty big single. Remember Officer Self Titled Pumping Off the Pumped, Stereo? It, yeah, that was a pretty Pump, big single. Pump it on. Your I uh,
3: it's funny. I I was uh a few years back stereo gum. I pulled it up recently. Uh put uh put out this uh article called Cut by the Buzz, a look back at Brit Pop's list. <laughs> oh, and boy. uh and it just sort of like and of course it's like the title itself is a reference to supergrass caught by the sure, buzz. Sure. Uh you know what? We'll link it with the uh the podcast. Can mm. we do that? Can we link stuff somewhere? Sure, you can do yeah, whatever okay. you want. But uh, it goes over some of the sort of uh, not not necessarily lesser known, but you know bands like uh, Ash and Biss and Catatonia, sure, and sure. Dodgy and and uh, <laughs> bands that just weren't as big as the the heavy hitters, you know. Yep. Uh. Anyway, worth worth checking out. But uh, I don't know. To me, Supergrass was like a huge band. Maybe just not North America. Obviously, yeah. there was songs like All Right uh, from Clueless. Was that? Was that the song from Clueless yep. and stuff. Yep. Made them big here. So.
1: Yeah. The, the Clueless soundtrack did actually really try to sort of straddle the grunge and Britpop kind of like Radiohead's on there and Supergrass is on there. And it's an interesting soundtrack, actually.
3: It was like the Cruel Intentions of 96.
1: <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so at number two, I, he, I I got Blur's Boys and Girls. I mean, it's it's a great song. It feels like it is the, the, the quintessential Britpop song. And I don't have that in my favorite Blur songs. Because I don't necessarily know that it is one of them. But it's probably in my top ten, maybe. But uh I just think it's a great
3: song. It's it's just it's a great song. Poppy, great song. I don't know. I feel like you, you haven't uh, noticed that I've been wearing the uh Park I did Life I did notice it, I but I also didn't know I don't know if you wanted me to mention it or not. I thought maybe Well, you were, why would I have quietly I been wearing no, the I only know. band T shirt? I, I got this in nineteen ninety four and it still fits you. Congratulations. It's looks quite big. <laughs> All right, now you're just bragging, <laughs> um, but uh, it's
1: a great shirt. Did you get that at a show? One of their shows? I did which one? Yeah, in Toronto. Uh, I think it was at the like RPM or Warehouse or whatever it was called. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I only saw Blur once with you, which was at uh, the Palais Royal. Oh, let's let's get to that story. That's oh, a we'll story. get to that story.
3: Well, that actually ties in with our 1999 album. So whenever we it talk will, about we're gonna that,
1: talk, we're gonna talk about it. Don't worry. Uh, so I got I got Blurs, boys and girls. It's great. Number two, what's yours?
3: I picked a heavy hitter Britpop hop album, not necessarily one of the bigger songs, mm. but from Pulp's different class, mm. I put Sorted for Ease and Whiz. It's great. I mean, it's... I a- actu- yeah, go ahead. I actually noticed a lot of my songs are drug-related. but <laughs> anyway. um, Yeah, I have... Um,
1: I'll, just, I'll just segue into my number one, because it's from the same album. Um, I, I had a really tough time choosing from between two pulp songs for my number one, so I'm cheating and I'm putting two, so nice deal with it. Uh, Common People and Disco 2000. Um, okay. are, those are the heavy hitters that are, I was sort the, of yeah. avoiding. Not on no, purpose, I know they get yeah.
3: Obviously, they're perfect songs.
1: They're, they are truly perfect songs. Um, Pitchfork did a... Uh, best rip-pop songs of all time. And number one, they had a Common People. It feels like Common People is the one that everyone points to. Uh, I love it. I love the music video of him in that fucking weird, surreal supermarket. It's great. Uh, it is everything that Pulp is. Like, it's a culmination of that band. It's a culmination of that movement. Um, and it has something to say about class and the various... Like, it's, it's a great song. Disco 2000, however, um, I'm, I'm currently uh, developing a television show... Uh, and, and that is the song for me that, that epitomizes the show that I'm working on right now. Like it just, it, it's all about getting older. It's all about like, uh, your first crush and, and, and all that sort of stuff mixed into it. And Nick Cave does an incredible cover of Disco 2000 oh, wow. as well, I haven't heard that, which I'll send to you. It's fucking yeah. incredible. Um, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. Those two songs to me are, are everything that I love about this, this movement and this genre of music. So what's your number one? Yeah.
3: My number one, I, I feel like my number one is The Birth of Britpop, maybe. Okay. Uh, I, I think there's two albums which are maybe responsible for sort of birthing Britpop. Uh, but my number one is a suede song, and it was kind of like you mentioned, the sort of like early suede catalog sure. before. And I agree, they're not perfect albums, but there were some perfect songs, and I put Animal Nitrate as uh, my number one pop song. Uh, I certainly think that was a song that was released, you know, pre-Britpop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that, along with Blur's uh, modern life uh is rubbish yep. would probably be like the defining like the things that created Britpop, the the the, the guiding voices to this like whatever scene you it's know? so funny that you say that because uh british journalist john
1: harris suggested that Britpop began with blur single pop scene and suede single the drowners which were both released in the spring oh, yeah. the spring of 92 which i think is really interesting um okay it does feel like they were both the the tip of the spear uh, yeah. which I think is really which I think is really cool um so I just want to talk a little bit more about some of the influences and some of the bands that were sort of that that formulated this a little bit I mean I think that you um you had sort of uh I'm just going to quote this, um, this journalist, John Harris, who said, If Britpop started anywhere, it was the deluge of acclaim that greeted Suede's first records, all of them audacious, successful, and very, very British. Suede was the first of the new crop of guitar-oriented bands to be embraced by the UK music media as Britain's answer to Seattle's grunge sound. Their debut album, Suede, became the fastest-selling debut album in the history of the UK. In April of '93, Select Magazine featured Suede's lead singer, Brett Anderson, on the cover with a union flag in the background and the headline, Yanks Go Home. Uh, the, there we go, there you go. Uh, the issue included features on Suede the auteurs, Denim, C'est Etienne, and Pulp which helped also start the uh, emerging movement so I think that it's all kind of, it's brewing in your early 90s, your 92, 93 and then it obviously really kind of comes to a, a, a peak uh, in in 95 um, it, it, so while Modern Life is Rubbish was a moderate success it was Blur's third album Park Life that arguably became sort of made them the most popular band in the UK and that's in 1994 um that's sort of that's girls and boys and that really kind of puts them into the into the stratosphere of all of that um which i think is really interesting
3: do you think uh maybe for like to mm-hmm. bring it back yeah, yeah to please blur mm-hmm. do you think we can kind of like bang out our like top five blur albums let's list do yeah let's uh, do that. And, and maybe less detail i think maybe the songs we could do more yeah, detail let's do it. but i feel like it might help uh, at least position us to maybe talk about the album thirteen, which was the nineteen ninety nine album.
1: for Totally, a bit
3: I think that's a perfect way to do things. Um, mm-hmm. I'll start at number five
1: for me. Uh, thirteen. is <laughs> my number five. Um, well, we will we will obviously unpack thirteen as a, as an album briefly. Uh, in, in, by that I mean in a, in a few moments. But yeah. uh, it's just a really weird album that I really respect and has gotten and has grown in my esteem um, over the years. Uh, I don't know. I remember when it came out being not disappointed by it, but just not really able to wrap my arms around it, not really getting it. Um, yeah. It's just, and, and subsequently I've realized how bold an album it is. Um, I remember just sort of feeling a little let down by the follow-up of the success of their self-titled, feeling like I don't really get this. I don't know how you felt about it at the time, but let's let's what's your number five. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll we'll get to it.
3: We'll get there. And it's funny because also in making this list, I feel like you have to honor like your like retrospectives, your, your, you know, sure. yourself back in the day and the. Uh-huh. the the meaning or the memory an album might mm-hmm. have and 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 but but obviously how it's aged and how it feels now so i mean you have to you have to kind of like i, I think i changed my list a bunch of times cuz there's only eight blur albums so basically know. what we're doing is we're picking the <laughs> Just three ranking that aren't on our list yeah? <laughs> yeah we're picking three that aren't yeah know? yeah anyway my number 5 is leisure and okay, uh, I, I, maybe maybe you dismissed it entirely but i think it's like I actually <laughs> aged i think it's aged incredibly well Should we and listen to it? Uh, and I think often the band gets kind of uh, slighted for having put out this sort of unoriginal, uh, you know, copycat album kind of sounding like okay. uh, this other shoegazy slash uh, Madchester baggy thing that's already been happening. And they were maybe like a little bit too late to the party. And, mm-hmm. and you know, but give it a listen. And I, I think it sounds extraordinary. And I think that for a debut album, Right out of the gates, I mean the Graham the Graham Coxon guitar styling, the the groovy uh, Alex James bass stuff, like it's all there. It's like how right out of the gates has this band already feels kind of like fully formed, even though some people feel like they're not fully formed. It's a wonderful album, and there's some like deep tracks. I mean, I I think a lot of people also maybe consider it a pretty fluff album, right? Uh, But sing and some of the tracks on that album are like really resonant. Uh, I
1: need to re listen to it. It is an album that I. Sort of disregard. It, it, in its own way, it's it's sort of the the Pablo Honey for me, an album that I just don't ever really think about.
3: Um, but I should go back and listen to it. Which, ironically, Pablo Honey is truly a grunge album. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it really does sound like <laughs> yeah, a grunge yeah. album.
1: Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, number four, I've got the Magic Whip. Me too. <laughs> great. Uh, I I think that album, which I actually recently re-listened to, probably in the last couple months, is fantastic.
3: Like, I think it's I think it's a so great album. I, I think it's great um i I think it's wonderful remind people this is what came in like 2015 so this is like way after the fact yes and i think and i feel like maybe we both symbolically placed it at number four instead of like five because i feel like number five is almost like being dismissive you know number five is kind of like well i should include it on the list like (laughs) no it's a a strong album and uh you know, the story, I believe, was the band recorded mm-hmm. uh, on a tour. They were in, in China for mm-hmm. a bit uh, and had, like, a bit of downtime, recorded some demos, and left it with guitarist Graham Coxon for a while, who, who mm-hmm. fucked around for a long time with it. Yes. Uh, Damon came back and was like, oh, shit, like, we have something here. Yep. And it's, I mean, the amount of, like, in that album and uh, that sounds bad if you know you put a lot of effort but anyway no it sounds great it's a,
1: it's a it's a really really good album i think it's also to give a little bit of context for people in terms of the 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 arc or history of the band um graham and and i'm assuming damon basically had a falling out um graham sort of went off and tried to have a solo career um and uh try to he did you know what i mean um it's fine. yes he had a solo career um but but more than anything the band sort of they parted ways after think tank think tank was an album that uh primarily does not have uh uh graham involved there's only one song that he's involved in or at least one song that that, that he plays on if i'm not mistaken and uh it seemed like the band was done it, it for all intents and purposes everyone was like they're done um and i i i people have have you know theorized that graham sort of doing all this work on the magic whip was an attempt to sort of you know i don't know that he felt bad or that he was trying to sort of make amends or whatever it is but he put a lot of work into it as you said a lot of effort and uh and made a really beautiful album you know and and, and it's it's obviously the whole band they're all working there but but it is um it's really interesting, too, as an album, To you hear every part of their discography in that album. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And I think yeah, that's I mean, really it's, interesting.
3: It's, uh, you know, not unlike uh, Bowie's uh, The Next Day. Yes, yes, know, yes, it's yes. A, yeah. this looking back at oneself yeah. and reflecting. Uh, but it also had this sort of like feeling of, you know, we've also sort of not even mentioned once that, of course, uh, right at the era of 1999 when 13, the album that we're going to be talking yep. about, comes out uh damon is simultaneously working on gorillas yes. so like he's got this other thing brewing that's about to explode yeah uh which which maybe explains some of the darkness in that album because he on the other hand has this other outlet for this goofy fun album so anyway also we're... 13 when we talk about
1: 13 but i mean that was a breakup album for him i mean he was really dealing with you know a lot of personal stuff on top of all of that fair so. but he's simultaneously making this goofy
3: fun album which is, is weird yeah
1: uh number three i have the great escape what do you have? Blur. Interesting. It's all titled Yeah. Interesting. I, I mean, yeah. I. It's it's really funny. You you talked about how sort of in retrospect, thinking about where I was headspace-wise with these albums, and sort of and and I remember. Right around the time that that I'm um, right around the time you introduced me to sort of the discography of this band, that was the album that I gravitated to the most. And I'm not quite sure why, because I actually think the Great Escape uh, is a band doing what it thinks everyone wants it to do. You know what I mean? Yep.
3: It it and... it's the it's the album that you think you want all the time, which is right. like, oh, can't you, you? know, it's it's Kanye making an old Kanye album yes. again. Yes, yes, yes. It's exactly. not Kanye making uses. You know, <laughs> uh, but yeah. if Kanye were to make another Kanye album, you wouldn't like it. And <laughs> And that's my segue of saying I. I not don't like greatest. Escape escape. Al- al- yeah, and and my I that probably would have been my favorite album back in the day, yep. and I think with time for me that that's the one that exactly what you just said. It's the band doing what the band yep. thinks they should be doing. It's so polished, and it's yeah. like some perfect pop songs and some great singles on that album. But ultimately, uh, it, to me, is the least imaginative album now.
1: I I. I absolutely 100 percent hear you and it's not that i disagree with you i think it's that my uh my nostalgia and my emotional connection to the album is such that it's hard to remove that from it so like there are a couple of my there are a couple on my top five blur songs from the great escape because of the 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 headspace it puts me in when i listen to it like it just makes me feel good because it makes me think of a time where i was Very happy Um, so I can't remove that nor do I want to but I also completely agree with you that it is a band maybe going through the motions a little bit so you want to talk about Blur's uh self-titled and and your feelings
3: about that uh I remember I mean that I I I kind of associate that album which I think was 97 and 13 is like a package they kind of they kind of feel like a a progressive album like a a progression one into the other sure Uh, I mean it's certainly that's certainly an era for the band. And I think it starts in 97 with yep. blur. I mean, I mean, I think in many ways, um, 13 echoes that self titled album. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess if the focus is drugs or drug abuse or whatever <laughs> sure. on, on blur yeah. and then breakup is the, the, the second, second, uh, part of that. Um, I don't know. I, I find like the song Beetlebum on blur mm-hmm. and then the song tender, uh, on thirteen very much like' linked and they 're both the lead off tracks yes, uh, yes obviously song two is the big I, I mean it was such a special sort of Few like a month or something to have heard song two without ever having heard it before, <laughs> and like yeah. and genuinely thinking like this is a great song, yeah. you know. Yep, yep. Say what you will. Now, I mean, it's you've you've heard it. Everyone's heard it like a million times. But I mean, when you first heard that song, that was a really special song. I mean, it was it was wonderful. I,
1: I um, they sorry. do feel like no, I agree with you. I was just just to 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 mirror what you're saying. They do feel like two sides of the same coin. Um, they do feel like like. 13 feels like the Nega version of the self-titled. It feels like the dark flip side of it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I imagine it's also the dark flip side of the success of their self-titled. I mean, it was a enormously successful album. Um, They're most successful. Uh, I imagine the amount of money they made off of the commercials that it, that it played in. I mean, just the, the, the success of that and then the breakup of uh, Damon's breakup and then sort of the flip side of it I think it's interesting to sort of see 13 as a deconstruction of their self-titled which I think is interesting uh,
3: yeah I mean so, I mean, some of my favorite so, some of my favorite songs which I would bang off and then later I will reveal that none of them are actually on my favorite Blaze song <laughs> okay. uh, list. it doesn't make any sense but just looking you know Look Inside America yes, uh, yes song 2 I mean these are all reflections of of Britpop uh, or what how Britpop was birthed, uh, which is sure. America. Yep. Uh, countryside ballad, man. I mean, it's, great it's, song. uh, and this is certainly in the phase four in my four phase cycle of <laughs> the Britpop era. This is yeah. the, the post Britpop. I mean, this is where Blur's post Britpop mm-hmm. begins mm-hmm. for sure. A hundred percent. Are we down to We're number, done two, number
1: two? I haven't done two yet. Have you okay. done two? No. Uh, I park life at number two
3: twins. <laughs>
1: uh i think park life is um just I, I think what i like the most about park life as opposed to like putting it next to great escape park life has a lot more variation it feels like they're doing a lot of different things in park life great escape feels a little one note for all intents and purposes it's like ballad or, or power pop it's kind of like one or the other um whereas park life feels like a really interesting sort of mixture of a bunch of different stuff like the song park life in and of itself. Is just a crazy weird thing. Um, I just I love to the end uh, as well. Um,
3: and then boys and girls. I mean, do you remember? Do you remember hearing Girls and Boys for the first time though? Yes. I mean, I, from this like guitar laden yes. uh, band to this like synthie drum drum-machine-y sounding uh, mm-hmm. like I'm like what is this and yeah. and that was actually the first song that started tracking on uh you know at least in toronto on the radio for blur which was cool to hear uh you'd hear girls and boys on the radio and we still do now it's become a much bigger song yeah uh end of the century, of tracy, the century. Jacks, tracy jacks yep. uh, london Magic loves america yep T- to the end huge um yeah Hugh- i mean and the video for to the end which
1: i ad- which i adore which is all sort of like making fun of uh like it's it's really really great um it's, it does feel in its own way sort of like them at the peak of their powers. It just feels like them at their most kind of, um, I don't know, their most energetic, the most filled with possibility.
3: They're having the most oh, fun. For it's, sure. It just in- feels like... Introducing yeah. like synths and different sounds yeah. and like trying to progress as a band, trying yeah. to like push it to the next level. Yeah. I mean, and again, this is like 94. This is really still like... Not really the peak yet of Britpop. Yep. Britpop maybe has another year or two to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was released the same year of um, definitely maybe. So mm-hmm. those, uh, I mean, those are two side by side wonderful albums from ninety ninety four. It's pretty crazy.
1: It's insane. It's it's also just sort of um, you know again talking about sort of the arc of the band. It it you and I don't mean to sound you know sad or morose but the Britpop thing really kind of sucks the life out of Blur a little bit right which is that like they have this album they're so fu- you know there's so much fun and possibility they made The Great Escape which feels like a band going through the motions it's not as successful as 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 the media wants it to be as you know film or sorry, uh, music critics want it to be there's this ridiculous battle of Britpop all this shit and then they kind of drop the whole thing you know what I mean? Like, they, they're just sort of like, we don't want to do this anymore. Like, you've, you've taken all the fun out of it, which I think is interesting. It, it might have made them a better band in the sense that it forced them into directions that maybe they were less comfortable in, but it's kind of a bummer. But it's
3: like, because it resulted in The Great Escape, you know? <laughs> like, would
1: you
2: want yes. it? No, I mean, no, yeah. And,
3: and truly, at the time, it was a huge album, but it's like, I'm sure they didn't, like, Love that album, yeah. And I'm so definitely sure they wanted to uh, make uh, a different album, yeah. like at the end of that, and especially at the end of that cycle. Of course, they for were sure, exhausted. for sure.
1: Um, so we're at number one. Blur
3: album. Phil, I feel like I, I mean, oh boy. I feel like there's only so many ways you could have gone with this. But if we're not both on the same number one, we're it's n- going to be weird. We're not. Damn it. <laughs> um,
1: I, I had their self-titled as number one.
3: Wow!
1: Yeah, I I know that uh, it's. I, I'm I'm assuming yours is "Modern Life Is Rubbish." That's right. Yeah. Um, I, I I I really so the ones that I left off: think tank, "Modern Life Is Rubbish," and leisure. Um, leisure. <laughs> You're fine. Leisure. Um, so the reason I picked uh, the self-titled i i think it's first of all again sort of comes back to um a little bit was of your a, album. that was the one, that that was you the discovered one. On it was my it was it was the one it was my entry point for the band it's the one that that uh that just feels i don't want to say the most interesting but it's it's just it doesn't feel like them but it does feel like them uh it's got some just tremendous songs on it and I don't know it's just i i, I just I, I really love it i i think it's it might not be the quintessential blur band album which i think is probably park life
3: but i just i i think it's uh i don't know i love it i mean i feel for the same reasons <laughs> that you give would be my reasons for modern life is sure. rubbish which i think it was my first blur um i i had been uh aware sure. of leisure uh, after it come out uh, I think it was like a camp and I had, a i i did, I do know I had a camp counselor and his name uh-huh. was Jan. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah. There's another Jan. It was an Estonian <laughs> camp. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he was my, uh, musical <sighs> shepherd for, uh, many and still is actually. Mm. Uh, but he introduced me to leisure when it came out. And, um, I think with the, like older cousins and siblings, I, I, I there, I, I was exposed to a lot of cool, like, 80s stuff as, like, a youngin'. So uh, 1993, Modern Life is Rubbish comes out, and I'm 13. And I'm kind of like, this is also the year, I think, of Nevermind, or maybe mm-hmm. Nevermind. It was, like, a year or two before that, actually. I don't know. Yep. Oh, no, it must have been before, because this was the re- reactionary album. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the first uh, – uh, sorry, 91 is – Nevermind. Mm-hmm. It's the first uh, – show i go see is blur really and only because they happen to be playing in estonia while i'm there on a family trip in 1993 i'm too young to go to like maybe a concert by myself i had an older cousin dina tina in estonia that brought me there's like they're playing at a festival called rock summer and they were playing actually on the side stage it wasn't even like the main stage uh and it's right before modern life is rubbish is about to come out and i i see them like as this 13 year old kid playing these songs that I've never heard. And I love leisure already. So that was my um, And, uh, you know, that they're kind of dressed up like in suits as mods. And it was just like the most amazing experience.
1: That sounds awesome. I mean, it's, I, I, I only saw, I've seen blur three times. Uh, and, um, this feels like as good a time as any to talk about, uh, the Palais Royale show and, and sort of fold this into 13. Well, yeah because
3: this leads us into 13 yeah
1: yeah uh but uh i've seen them i saw them once at the warehouse for think tank without graham and it was weird it wasn't very good um saw them at uh, the hollywood bowl recently here in la um with the whole band for magic whip and a tremendous show just unbelievable um they got uh who was it that they brought on to do... Oh, it was uh, Fred Armisen did, uh, did Park Life oh, with right. them, which was great. That's great. Um, but uh, in 99, we went to see them at the Palais Royale. Um, was it in 99 or was it in 2000? I don't know.
3: No, it was but, 99. Okay.
1: Because the album came out in 99, but I'm not sure if we actually saw them uh, live in 99, but that doesn't matter. The album came out in March, so it probably was in 99. Um, actually,
3: and I, if I may, Phil. Please. Is it GHP again? fact, because <laughs> yeah. it was right after the album came out. Because yeah. in order to get that's a right, free that's right, ticket to the show, you had to line up at Tower, Tower Records. Yep, 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 yep. And the first like a hundred people or whatever that was bought amazing. the CD would get a wristband yep, to yep. go see the free show. Mm-hmm. So Phil, I feel like you forgot this part. of the No, story. no, no.
1: I remember this part of the story vividly.
3: <laughs> so because <we laughs> I felt with bad. We were with a friend of the podcast, uh, Simon, mm-hmm. myself. Past and future guest. Your, yep. We were at your childhood home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there was like a contest on the radio. They just announced mm-hmm. it. And they were saying, like, a, a, the first 100 people at uh, Tower Records, which used to exist in Toronto. Uh, well who buy the album will get a free ticket to this exclusive show. And the only other way yep. I think you can get tickets is win them off the radio. Yep. And this is like a tiny venue for like maybe a few hundred people. And mm-hmm. it's an old like a uh, swing dance studio yeah, or whatever. Like, like in the harbor front? Is that where where was it? On the lakeshore. shore. Lake shore like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yep. in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's weird. And so Simon was sleeping over. I think I went yes, home yes. and I was like, let's just get there as early as possible. And I think you guys didn't even go to bed. We didn't I go think to bed. You yeah. just went there at like three in the morning yeah and just drove and to I,
1: queen and young or maybe to the subway i don't remember and just stood sure. there
3: and there was already people there right
1: oh yeah there was already a lineup a, a significant lineup by that point point. and i remember we we stood there you eventually uh met, met up with us come to think of it you should feel worse
3: than i do <laughs> <laughs> so so i made i went to i went home to sleep <laughs> while you guys were holding my spot in line
1: Correct. We get there and I remember being very <laughs> pissed off with people butting in line. Yes. Well, because I- that was fucked up because, I mean, it's, it's different if it's like, I don't know, you're, you're making sure people don't get in as but opposed I think, to. Like- I think
3: part of the irony was that I did show up at like six in the morning and you guys were still the last people in line like there wasn't a bunch of people behind correct. you correct people just kept clumping up because fuckers like you went home to sleep and people <laughs> stood
1: in line and held the spot for them but nobody was behind you no there were people by the time they actually started handing out the wristbands there were people behind us for sure anyway they so, get, I- so they basically they go through they start giving people the the wristbands and i was the last wristband <laughs>
3: Simon, no, Simon didn't get one. Simon
1: didn't get one, he didn't, and
3: he didn't even care. He just, he doesn't even like the band. He just wanted to like go because he thought it'd be fun. Yeah, he to, didn't, like, line he, up he didn't give one.
1: a shit. He was just like, it'll be fun to stand outside for seven hours. But like, I was the last. Ri- did you not get one,
3: no. or did you get one? No, why? I can tell the part B. Please, please, story. yes, please, please, go, go ahead. So, uh, <laughs> I felt bad. I felt yeah. really bad. I, I don't know why. Like, it's not like your fault or whatever. Like, you're, you just stood in line and got your thing. But you you felt bad that this was like such an exclusive opportunity yeah. to see this band in this tiny venue, uh, Palais Royal in, in Toronto, and so you 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 just said you know Jan just show up let's just go to the show we'll figure it out and you were like if there's a scalper I'll like I'll buy it like we'll figure it out yeah. right yep. So we get there, and, and again, they're giving out maybe like 100 or less tickets, maybe like 50 tickets at the Tower Records, which we did not get. And the rest, you could only win them off the radio. There was a radio station, CFNY. They were uh, <laughs> handing out tickets. You'd have to you know, be the fifth caller or whatever, that kind of thing. I never got the tickets on air. So Phil's just like, show up. So Palais Royale is also pretty remote uh, in, in Toronto. It's not like part of the downtown core. It's kind of like in the West End. You really have to like trek to get there. So we went there. And because a lot of people did win tickets, a lot of people maybe weren't the biggest fans and didn't really give a shit because it's not like they went out and spent a lot of money on these tickets. They all got them for free. Mm-hmm. So there was like a whole, a whole bunch of scalpers uh, outside and they were offering like top dollars as soon as anyone would even walk towards the venue they just started offering money. They wanted to buy as many tickets as possible because there was clearly people like me who were just wanted in real bad. Sure. So, um, so they uh, this this keeps on happening. And you but they're not selling them back. They're basically they're trying to create this like supply and demand chain. They're trying to create a hype for these tickets. Yep. Uh, and and at some point they're hoping to sell them each for like hundreds of dollars to like raving lunatics like me. <laughs> so the venue sees that this is happening and a representative from the uh, radio station uh, who was, I remember, Dave Bookman, who actually unfortunately just died, uh, rest in peace. But he came out and, and witnessed this whole situation. And then there was, a, I guess, discussion in the background where they say, well, fuck it. Why are, why are there all these scalpers and why are there all these people that are, are, are basically being held out? Let's just open the door. And I think, maybe, I think maybe it was like twenty bucks at the door. They just like let everyone in, and mm-hmm. totally fucked over the scalpers. So these scalpers <laughs> were at like thousands of dollars. Like, I totally forgot insane. that. I completely forgot that that happened. And it, and we so we both got
1: we both got in. Um,
3: magical show. It
1: was a magical show. They played the album from back to front, and then they came out for like an encore, and they sang pop scene and song that. two, and that was it. <laughs> Or oh, something that like it, that. Yeah. It was I, it felt like they played which it was fine but like you kind of I don't know. It was you kind of wish that they played some more cuts off of their pretty deep discography but I mean it is what it is.
3: I wonder if because it was like a radio show maybe it was like a promo I think show it's at was like an A-top yeah. dollar or whatever. I think it was something like that.
1: So let's talk I'm about sure. let's talk about 13. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. 13 uh was released on March 15th, 1999. It was recorded uh from June to October of 98 uh in Reykjavik and in London. Um William Orbit produced it. I believe it's the only album of theirs he's produced, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, that's
3: that was like that was so 99 to have yes. like William Orbit. <laughs> yeah. He did the Madonna rib light, Yeah. Right? Was just, okay.
1: yeah. So he was 99. like having a moment in the in the late yeah. 90s. Yeah. Um it had three singles. Uh Tender, which was released on February twenty second, ninety nine, Coffee and TV, which came out in June of ninety nine, and No Distance Left to Run, which came out in November of ninety nine. Um, talk about three very different songs. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think that, so what are your, what are your feelings about it? What do you remember about the album? You know, it, it was not on your list of
3: top five, correct? It was not on my list. Uh, it was your number five. It was so not highly regarded for either of us. Although you know, you did say that it's, I guess, grown more on you. Uh, I I don't know. I always kind of remember it. Uh, I I just never really hit me. Like it never hit you. Mm -hmm. Uh, it had some exceptional songs on it mm-hmm. uh but as a whole you know what bugged me about the album i think th- there's certain songs i could just never get past yep. you know there's there's certain songs that just never grew on me mm-hmm. and they they felt like the band trying to create another song too and it just it, it felt like this bug like, man effort. like Bugman, <laughs> swamp song like, yeah b-l-u-r-e-m-i actually kind of works and mm-hmm. that's kind of like a fun like throwback punky mm-hmm. like blur song but it feels like some of the other songs um Sure, and, and to put Bugman as like track I know. two. It's like, what are you doing, man?
1: Well right I'll, after Tender. I'll say this. I think that I agree with everything you're saying. Um it, it's a it's a weird album. It feels like a band that that isn't entirely sure what the next step is. It feels a little bit of like a stutter step. In just in terms of uh, growth as a band. Um, I also feel like the songs, some of the songs are a little too long. I think, like, Caramel's too long. I think that, like, Trim Trab's probably too long. Like, these songs eclipse seven minutes. I mean, most of the songs are, I mean, you've got Coffee and TV at just under six minutes. Like, these are long songs, um, which also kind of tests, could test your patience, I imagine. Um, But... I really think I mean coffee and TV is you know spoiler is on my top five favorite Blur songs. I, I really do love that song, um, and it, it it is certainly a highlight of this of this album. Um, and it's on the Cruel Intention soundtrack. Um, but I, I think that as an album, I just respect how messy and weird it is. I don't know. I I, I don't necessarily think it's. Uh, I don't know. Like I I would argue that it's probably not an album that if you don't really like Blur you're going to like it. Like that's probably the thing about why this album wasn't successful, right? You've got Song 2, you've got this enormously successful self-titled album and then this is their follow-up and people are like what the fuck is this? Like what am I supposed to do with this? There's there's just it just it really doesn't feel like it has any singles. Bugman wasn't even a single ironically. <laughs> like yeah. you would think that that would have just been their first single. I don't or like the bit,
3: song. Bit, bear. I mean it's just a no you know, Al doesn't have much of a flow. It How doesn't. do you go from Tender to Bugman <laughs> to Coffee and TV? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Tender's a I great mean, track, co- though. Coffee and TV, uh, you know, also... Uh, worth noting that that's like a heavy graham Coxon yes, song and that's him yep. singing the song most yep. people don't realize yep. uh and even uh graham singing uh much of tender uh, yep. uh i mean his vocals are coming through on this album it kind of feels like the the best parts of this album are thanks to graham not damon i agree uh maybe the saddest parts are thanks to damon <laughs> <laughs> uh, i
2: do 1992
3: is yeah. a standout track it's a great track me, a great and track. uh i don't know if you know the story behind that I it don't. was uh it had, it was a song that had actually originally been recorded as a demo in 92. And it was like truly like a lost song that I guess through the process of this album making Damon found. uh, And I mean, if you listen to it and just have that in mind, I mean, definitely feels like part of that. Like, um, yeah, I guess what would have been modern life songwriting era. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, And it's, it has such a throwback feel to it. uh, And I think they kind of recorded it the same way too, with like that sort of dryness and stuff. Um, yeah it's, yeah, it's it's a really no beautiful song. No left to run is also to me. It's it's kind of like the swan song of the band. You know, it's kind of like that's the, it. I mean, it's a breakup song. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it you know as much as it is about uh, Damon and Justin's breakup, uh, it's it's like it sounds like Graham and Damon breaking up. You know, and it, it sounds does. like there's this like beautiful guitar line sweeping through like clearly sweeping through the entire song along with Damon's vocals. And it just sounds like a conversation between those two things. Um, and the looseness totally. of that is so refreshing. I do appreciate some of the looseness on the album, which you're so used to most blur albums having this like sort of fine tuned, uh, you know, sound. So that's kind of cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I really love no distance left to run and I agree with you. It does feel like um, no distance left to run and uh battery, in your, battery in your leg feel like, those are the two. That's the end of the band, I feel like. Those are the two songs where yep. you're really feeling uh, Damon and Graham basically
3: saying goodbye to each other.
1: Um,
3: it's The end of the millennium?
1: Yes. Millennium, 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 millennium. I also, do you remember the the music video for No Distance Left to Run? It's a great video. Uh, yeah. the, the night vision of them all sleeping. Super weird, yeah. but yeah. kind of cool at the same time. I think that this just, this album just sort of feels like them just doing a bunch of stuff like it's sort of a throwing spaghetti against a wall kind of thing it doesn't totally all mesh together particularly well um but like there's i, I think battles a really interesting song yeah. uh again doesn't sound like a blur song really i mean i don't even really know what it what it's doing <laughs> but i'm kind of interested into it in it it also feels a little bit like you were talking about the gorillas com- uh, comparison or or that it's happening at the same time which i think is also really interesting you can sense the sort of electronic component like battle to me feels like it could have been a gorilla song um which i think is sort of interesting uh yeah i don't know and caramel as well like it's a lot of it feels like they're experimenting with Damon's voice a little bit too like they're doing a bunch of like weird electronic shit to it at times which is interesting um yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's as we talk about the album, I find it hard to defend why it's my number five. <laughs> I, 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 it's that's the truth. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's like it, it, I'm sort of in my head thinking, yeah, but do I like it less than, uh, than Modern Life or Leisure or Think Tank? And I'm like, no, I, I don't. I, I like it more than those. So that's kind of why it's number five. But I'm not gonna sit here and like really ride for it because I can't really say that. It holds together particularly well or that it's like some – also like the (laughs) – the album cover is so fucking ugly. Oh, it's, it's like this worst. weird the lens
3: flare? What's with the painting? And then there's like a lens flare. It's, and, and, and it's, it's like pixelated because
1: it's all like done digitally uh, as well.
3: It's it's a fucking hideous album cover. I'm sure there's some great story about how it was like a gift to Damon from Justin or something. I'm some sure, shit like that. Yeah. It's bad. It's bad.
1: Man. It's bad. Um, but you know, it's 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 an interesting thing. It's an interesting relic. And it's also, you know, we obviously Yanyu you came on for we talked about soundtracks um and and uh and kenny and i did an episode about you know specifically our favorite songs of 1999 um but 99 kind of a bit of a wasteland when it comes to albums like really really great albums right um and this is one of them i think one of the better albums of 99 or at least that i still listen to (laughs) but the least
3: greatest from this (laughs) exactly exactly which but you know what i will say if you look at if you look online at other people's like definitive or top blur list this sure. actually ranks pretty high on most people's lists so it does uh, you know just because it's not our favorite i think a lot of people hold this uh pretty high in high regard yep. and maybe artistically or whatever this is like maybe they've peaked or something but yep. you know well looking I'm, I'm looking at the wikipedia page right
1: now of the accolades that this album got and it got a fair amount of them it was nominated uh for album of the year for the NME awards losing to the soft bulletin by the flaming lips which is totally fair um you know it was number 10 on pitchforks albums of the year it was number three on rolling stones albums of the year you know this was it was number two melody maker the uk was kinder to it probably than the us was but still like it's it's just interesting you know i think that i think people probably saw this album in in the in the sort of the fallout of the success of 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 their self-titled and you know what have you and we're sort of like well it's a new blur album so we'll take what we can get and yep. there's some good shit here so whatever. Uh do you the, want to
3: yeah go. Ahead. I was I was just going to follow up or uh, and was saying that uh the the album cycle itself though had um I mean this is again I mentioned this when we did that did we do a soundtrack show was that me? We did, That and, was you, that was you. And um I think this was the last year I was like definitely buying up CDs. I think 2000 yes. maybe maybe one or two, right? But yes. this was like when I was still kind of thirsty for uh you know and this album cycle had a lot of singles and EPs and mm-hmm. remix albums and stuff. It did. And I remember one one that was really cool. Uh, and I'll send it to you, and maybe you post it later. Yeah. Uh, Cornelius, the Japanese artist, did mm-hmm. uh, a tender remix, and it's just like cut up the acoustic guitars, and and and, it, and it's such a like a made it into such a whimsical, delightful song. Uh, but you know, not making it sound like shit. Like it, yeah, it, yeah. it was really well done. I also, uh, there's a bunch of cool yeah. B-sides. There's two sure. quick things
1: that I also wanted to mention, about uh, first, specifically about 13. The first is uh, it should be noted that Damon is also doing the score of Ravenous at the same time of this. Yep. So I wonder how that in some way or another speaks to it. I don't know, but it feels like there's something there um or or something's not there or something's not there uh (laughs) the the flip side i want to tell and not to mention gorillas very quick story uh about the about this album and about that time i remember i'm pretty sure it was i don't know if it was you or if it was dimitri but i think it might have been you uh they announced that they were going to play the first single from this album on the radio do you remember this at all and i remember specifically listening to it on my radio in the in the like the TV room of my parents' house for the first time. I don't know if it was you. I'm pretty sure it was, but it might not have been. Um, was it tender? It was tender, and I remember well, first of all how crazy that is that I had to be home at a specific time to hear the single for the first time playing on the radio. Yeah. Is like that's fucking archaic now. But um, and I remember. I mean, it's it's a seven and a half minute song. With, with a gospel backing, you know, chorus and and a acoustic guitar. And I just remember thinking like I'm okay. <laughs> like I just <laughs> like I was just like th- I just I was pretty nonplussed about it. Like right. it just it was not Now in hindsight, I think that song is fantastic. I really do think yeah. it's a great song. Um but at the time it was just like this is oh, all right, sure. And it it just it wasn't anything particularly special. I remember I bought the single for it. I don't remember what the B-side was. Um but uh
3: yeah just there was one there was one uh exceptional song that was recorded within this song uh with within this album cycle Mm -hmm. uh and rather than appearing on this album or as a Mm b-side i think it appeared first on like a their probably their first greatest hits or best of Mm -hmm. uh but it was music is my radar yeah it's a great song yeah and that That was on their greatest hits had that song totally been on this album yes. maybe maybe imagine removing Bugman and putting music in yeah. my radar yes track too yes that would have been a great transition from tender to coffee and tv right? i absolutely agree with you
1: i mean first of all music is my radar is is a legit great blur song and even though he's you cannot understand a single lyric he's just <laughs> mumbling his way through that entire fucking song but it's a okay. great song and the music video do you remember the music video for it too yeah where they don't I, do I was a fucking like, thing they just There's sit on a couch. couch watching
2: women dance.
3: I think. <laughs> it's it's I like anyway. a French talk yeah. show or something. Or totally. Some 60s or I, like... I will
1: say that like no distance left to run the music video for music is my radar into battery in your, like it just all feels like a band that's just like fucking done. Like they just don't want to <laughs> do this anymore, <laughs> uh, which I think is, I mean, uh. it's interesting, but um, all right. So can we, let's do our top five uh, blur songs while we're at this real quick. Yeah. Um, and uh, so at number five, I actually do have Battery in Your Leg. I actually really love that song. Interesting. Uh, it's the only wow. song that I love off of uh, Think Tank. Um, it's a song that I go back to and listen to all the time. There's just something uh, – first of all, I love the sound of it, like the, the way it's produced. Um, and I love – and this is such a weird thing, and I don't know if you have this with songs. I'm sure you do, Jan. But um, when they leave in little things – that you can hear in the background that feel like mistakes, but aren't mistakes at the very end of the song, like the drummer
3: putting his sticks down, the drummer putting his sticks
1: down or something. And in this, at the very end of the song, you hear someone take a swig of water from like a canteen or something like that. And you can just hear like, they're just like, fucking. but it's, it's, it's great. I I really love that song. Um, and I think part of it also, up until we got the magic whip, it felt like the last song we were ever going to get from blur. And it felt like a nice end you know um it was a song obviously they did with damon and it was just like maybe this is the maybe this is just the end of this band um, Graham, yeah sorry um and i just really love it i don't know that's that's my number five what's your five
3: my number five uh damon has referred to this before as the first gorillas song actually okay uh and it came out on the self-titled album and it's on your own it's a great song and it's, it's such fun. a wacky, weird song with the craziest guitar just being yep. like, uh, I mean, I remember like, you know, back in playing in like indie bands, like basically everyone that I played music with, everyone's pedal board would be like whatever Graham Coxon has, whatever digital delay or rat distortion pedal, you know, <laughs> you would emulate that exact cause he had the best guitar tone and the best guitar sounds, mm-hmm. uh, anyway that song though um damon often refers to as the first gorillas song and i don't know if that's like in 97 already would have been the idea would have been in his head to start that band because i think it was a the following year that they started recording stuff um so that's that's, it's it's a great song um and i think
1: it's interesting that he makes that correlation to to gorillas with it but uh so number four I have coffee and TV, which we've which we already kind of talked about. I, I really love the music video for it as well, that weird uh milk crate that's trying to find Graham, I guess. I don't know. Um and I don't know, I it just it's 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 a fun song. It's probably the most fun song on 13, which I guess says something. Um but yep. I really like it. And I also, you know, you talked about how it's a it's a um a Graham song. Um, I love you're so great on 13 as well on, uh, on the subtitle as well. Like I really like the Graham songs and I wanted to kind of highlight one of his songs. Cause I do feel like he doesn't get enough love when it comes to
3: singing and songwriting and all the various things that he does for the band. So that's my number four. What's yours? It's funny your segue, because I am now going to mention a graham list song. <laughs> uh, okay. And you know, a lot of people like the think tank and like think tank and, um, Did you know that Banksy did the cover art, by the way? I didn't, but that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, Out of Time, which uh, to me was a beautiful song uh, and sadly did not have Graham, um, but uh, a classic Damon ballad that, uh, I don't know. It's weird. I think when I was a teenager, I don't think I would have, like, listed uh, many Graham ballads as, like, my favorite Blur songs. Obviously, we're aging, and this is what happens (laughs) in midlife, so... (laughs) yeah i mean i think that's definitely part of it for sure i
1: think there's also just um you know think tank is just just to talk about it briefly it's a weird album uh it's got a bunch of shit on there that just it it doesn't work but then it does have stuff like good song which is a a great song yeah um you know uh it's got um what's it called uh out of time as you just mentioned i actually really like ambulance like it's got interesting songs on it Yep. um but then it has like fucking jets and it has like the, the endless fucking um bass line that that Alex plays for what feels that song feels like it goes on forever. And then there's uh what was the the shitty um the single off of that? This the what was the name of the song? Now I gotta look it up. Crazy Beat? Yeah, fuck Crazy Beat
3: <laughs> 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 That song was bad. Like that, that in it signal? that in
1: and of itself, that album should just never be put on any top oh, five list. Sh- crazy beat yeah.
3: uh all right so uh, With the robotic sound it's oh, uh, always awesome. going crazy beat <laughs> yeah. it's, awesome. it's
1: it's i think what i hate most about it is uh it's the most desperate they sound like they're just like we just need a fucking single yeah we should one more baby one more <laughs> just squeeze one, it's like yeah. the, the progression of song two to bug man to crazy beat you're yeah. just like fucking hell uh number three is i have best days from the great escape oh yeah um I I I have a a memory with this song which is why it's probably on my list. Uh I went to uh Oxford University for my summer uh for a summer English class uh after high school. And uh I remember sitting in I I was s- sitting in my dorm room, I guess is what you would call it or whatever, that the huh. the first night that I moved there. Uh, not move there. That I went there, and I was lying in bed at like two o'clock in the morning, listening to this song. And it's just—I don't know. It was just a, a moment, and it's a, a time capsule song for me. So that's why I have this affinity for it. I don't know that it's necessarily one of their best songs, but it has one of my best blur memories. So that's why I associate it. If it's
3: the best song for you, that's all that matters. Oh, thanks, John. What's your number three? Uh, I have uh Chemical World on Modern Life Is Rubbish, Uh which uh, yeah again i think it's worth re-listening to those first two albums phil i do. You got some homework to do i do uh especially i mean for the same reasons i mean i have such a personal like i remember that being like anticipating this album when i was like 12 or 13 and waiting for it to come out um i remember having i had a single of it and they did like a rod stewart cover of maggie may and (laughs) uh, some other fun stuff But uh Yeah, I, I need to I definitely need to go back and listen to Modern Life
1: and, and and Leisure, but uh but certainly modern life. Um my one and two, you're not you're I mean whatever, they're big singles. But um, number two, I have Beetle Bum. Um I think it's a great song. I think great it's a song. it's and it's and it's a I would argue like one of the best opening songs of an album. Like it just it it defines itself from its first song. Like you know what the album is from this song and it carries it through the rest of the album. And uh, I, just, I just love it. And it's also a great music video.
3: Oh, yeah, that was a great video, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's your number two? End of a Century. Great song, yeah. <laughs> it's a great song. <laughs> I mean, it is a no, great no. song. I mean, yeah. I, I really love, uh, I don't, was it a single? Uh, it must have been a single. It yeah, a single, it a single. yeah, it was a single. It came out, right, it was actually funny enough, the follow-up to Park Life, and the single before Country House, so
1: <laughs>
3: sure, <laughs> good sure. luck there. There yeah. you go. Uh, so
1: yeah, you, it's is it probably your standout on Park Life?
3: Uh, well, I mean, it has to be because I don't have another Park Life song after this. So yeah, it's it's a uh, it's again true. probably yeah. not a song that I would have picked as a teenager as my favorite Blur song.
1: I, I also feel like, and and this might sound really stupid, so forgive me, but Park Life also feels like the most their accents feel the most accentuated to me of 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 their albums like there's something about the way that they say certain words they're just really leaning into the britishness and the the dialect and the various sort of um yeah just the the, the cadence and the way that they speak just feels so prominent in park life they're embracing mm-hmm. their britishness in every capacity whereas in future albums you just don't feel that as much they and i don't think that that's a distance thing i think it just felt like you know
3: well, I think uh, also with Parklife, I, I, kind of what you were saying about Leisure earlier where, you know, you, you felt like Damon's voice didn't feel like Damon's voice. I think, you know, when singers are less confident, you, yeah. vocals kind of get buried and there's maybe a bit more reverb and they're like layered with more like vocals on top. I think the confidence in park life is that you can just hear I mean, I'm sure he's like up in the ante oh, of yeah. his accent, yeah. but the vocals are really dry and they're really like like mixed mixed really like in your face. So I think you definitely hear it more too. Yeah, I I absolutely
1: agree with you. Uh so my number one you might roll your eyes at, but um I have the universal as my number one. It's a classic Phil song. <laughs> um it, <laughs> uh it, it is. I, I think it's just um I don't know. I mean, A I'm suck I'm a sucker for for uh ballads and strings. Um but I I also just I love the music video for it. I love the clockwork orange component. Yeah. Um and I just love the message behind it. I just I love the lyrics of it. It's just it's a it's a a big nice song. And I, I know that that might sound corny and and what have you, but um I really love Blur's ballads. I think that Damon's a a really Beautiful lyricist, and when he goes to those places, it feels really genuine. Um, whether it's not or not, and it's anyone's guess. But uh yeah, I just it's it to me it's the it's the song that I associate with the band, for good or for bad. Do you know who made the video? I feel like I do, but I don't. Was it really? Yeah. That's super cool.
3: yeah I didn't know you did that one. Uh what's your number one, Jan? My number one. I went back to Modern Life is Rubbish because I wouldn't have (laughs) called it my favorite Blur album if my favorite song wasn't on there. And it's For Tomorrow. That was the first single on that album. Uh, And I mean, those are like those are tracks that you often hear if Blur, like we both saw Blur, I guess, in 2015 would have been the last show. You saw him in L.A. and I saw him in New York. And uh, I mean, it's hard when a band's discography becomes... I guess even eight albums is a lot of albums because there's a lot of ground to cover. Totally, and you don't only want to hear the hits. You know, you want to hear a couple of deep cuts. And I mean, I don't think "For Tomorrow" or "Chemical World" are necessarily deep cuts, mm-hmm. but they're definitely not top of the top singles for that band. And to be able to hear those things, those songs live was was pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean i I, I need to listen to uh, "Modern Life Is Rubbish" again. Is the, the long and we... short of it.
1: But no, I I really do think uh, "For Tomorrow" is a is a wonderful song, and and you know I, I this is all obviously it's all opinion and it's what hits you and what hits me and why why we love the band and i think it says something about the band that the the spectrum of of what you know what they've accomplished and maybe what they'll accomplish in the future i would imagine they're done but who knows um so i think now's a good time to just let's just very briefly i just want to talk about like the end of Britpop. then we'll talk about our our uh, our top Britpop albums, and that feels that's like a nice it, closer. Feels that's like a, a good closer. closer. Uh, so, you know, uh, music critic uh, critic John Savage pinpointed "Be Here Now" as the moment when Britpop ended. Um, it was a highly anticipated album. It came out in 1997. Um, I don't think I can name a single off of it. Uh, I don't know if you can. Um, I just remember the video being really bombastic for their first uh, song, um, first single that is. Um, it isn't, this This music critic said, you know, it isn't the great disaster that everybody says it is. Uh, it was supposed to be a big, big triumphal record of the period. And I think that they just kind of created it under the anticipation of it. Um, and I think that, mixed with that blur at the same time, distances themselves from Britpop, doing their self-titled, assimilating American lo-fi influences such a Pavement and what have you. Uh, Alburn explained to NME in 97 that we created a movement as far as the lineage of British bands go, there'll always be a place for us. We genuinely started to see the world in a slightly different way, which I think is interesting. Um, but that feels like the death knell. You know what I mean? Those two albums coming out at the same time, <laughs> one being heralded as the future of Britpop cratering under its own expectations and the other band (laughs) saying we're done with Britpop feels like it's the end and then mixed into that we have your favorite band Jan the Spice Girls uh they come out around that time and their popularity really kind of I mean they kind of stole the Britpop moniker right like they were a literally a British pop band and then it was sort of that was the end I don't know if you feel differently, but that feels like the end to me.
3: No, Be Here Now is interesting. Uh, It's funny, 97, that same year, you know, the Blur Mm -hmm. subtitled as you mentioned, but also OK Computer, which again, yes. like nobody, nobody confuses for a Britpop album. It was its own thing, which is yeah. weird because like you could connect certain lines, but it just it wasn't there. Like they, I, I, I don't know. Were did they didn't play the game? I mean, it was. Yeah. They they would appear just as regularly in like NME or Select <laughs> or Q magazine, uh, but were had sort of delineated themselves into this different direction. Maybe had it not been for uh, Kid A as a follow up to OK Computer. It, well, that was the follow-up, right? Correct. Uh then maybe we had got a different yeah. story. Yeah. Uh but Okay Computer, uh I don't know. Was well, like this like it's maybe, a different Maybe thing. that album was so good that it just smoked out the the rest of the British crap and uh, <laughs> it. <laughs> it's it's just I mean, I, I think to
1: sort of to piggyback on what you're saying, it feels like kind of a trifecta. You've got okay computer, you've got Blur self titled, and you have Be Here Now. They all come out in ninety seven and all of them in their own way are basically saying, Fuck rip hop. Kind mm-hmm. of. Um, or at least Oasis isn't saying it, but they kind of do it by making a shitty album, for lack of a better way of putting it. Uh it yeah, also, I mean, there's... You
3: know. Go ahead. There's the... The, the, the ego uh, yes. must have killed it. You know, these, yeah. these bands were on top of their game and, you know, probably... You know, fucked on drugs the whole time, and 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 went too far. Went <laughs> That's a, that far. sounds right. It
1: also, I mean, it's it's a confluence of a bunch of things. Uh, the media kind of being over it, perhaps not seeing a, a band to be able to herald this anymore or to run with. And then in the 2000s, as we mentioned, you know, you got your Travis's, your Coldplay's, your Stereophonics, your what have yous, and they weren't doing the same thing. Um, you know, they weren't really trying to write the coattails of, of Britpop anymore. And you know, so there you go. Uh, so let's do our top five Britpop albums. Wrap, the, wrap this fucker it's up. It's gonna be good. Um so I'm I, I kind of cheated on my number five a little bit. Me too. Cool, cool, cool. Uh I put the train spotting soundtrack as my number five. Interesting. That that soundtrack, and it's an album. We'll say it's an album. Uh it is to me a perfect encapsulation of all of the bands of Britpop. All of them sort of before Britpop really blew up. But it's a great soundtrack that I feel has all of my favorite Britpop bands on it, and and introduced me to a lot of them. Uh, so it's kind of a time capsuley thing to me. So that's why I put it on there. I don't know
3: how you feel about it. I mean, you like the soundtrack, I'm assuming, but you know, Phil, I put it as my number three. Actually, oh wow, so, you know, <laughs> okay, great, and and, and and maybe for the same reason we were 16. <laughs> this movie came out. Yeah. Obviously, we're not into like heroin and didn't affect us <laughs> that way. Uh, yeah. But yeah. it was such an iconic time capsule of the yes. era. We d- we talked about '90s soundtracks. This was obviously our favorite. Uh, we know we're also forgetting there was a Train spotting number two soundtrack that came out the following year. They put out more songs. Oh, I, I guess that what was appeared on that? In the movie. Uh, was I mean, anyone on that? the rest of the stuff that appeared okay. in the movie, like Golden Years, David Bowie. Uh, oh, sure, Another sure. Underworld song, uh, Passenger <laughs> Iggy Pop. Jordan Underworld. Schneider. That's a fucking Britpop band that no one talks about. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, yeah. I guess we can skip my number three. Well, we'll just – what's your number five? I, I totally agree. I mean, that, yeah. it's an important uh, defining album yeah. of, of the air for sure.
1: It Especially for – I would argue for North American audiences. That movie was huge yep. and that soundtrack was huge and I think it – that was the access point for a lot of people for Blur and for Pulp and for a lot of these bands that sort of came out of that So
3: uh yeah, just a hunch just a hunch but uh uh-huh. movie about heroin addicts probably not as cool without an awesome soundtrack so. probably so, true yeah
1: and yeah. obviously there's, there has to be a lou reed song yeah uh oh, wait, i didn't get to my number five though
3: i was just gonna say what's your number five um so not a Britpop album <laughs> <laughs> perfect oh okay right. yeah what is it uh, It is Exit Planet Dust by the Chemical Brothers, 1995. okay. And uh, this came out (laughs) in the absolute peak of Britpop. It did. Uh, This song came out before sort of that big wave of electronic, I believe electronica, as it was called. Uh, But uh, I think it was so important for the era, um, you know, that Ed Simmons and uh, Tom Rollins from the, from the group,
2: mm-hmm. uh, used
3: to DJ regularly at the Heavenly Social in London, which was like a, the, the the big club uh, where you know you got Noel Gallagher, Tim Burgess from Charlton's, uh, Bobby Gillespie from Primal Scream hanging out. They eventually like <laughs> you know end up doing songs with all these guys. So I mean they're sort of the uh, the electronic music uh, stewards to the Britpop world. Uh, all the references are the same. It's all like 60s, 70s musical references. There's like same grooves, just less guitars. Um, sure. But uh, I, I pulled one quote. I did, I did a film research. Sure. Um, Ed Simmons in music said that, uh, quote, nobody from the dance world has come up with an album to reflect these times. Why is that? Why is it left to a group like Oasis to express the way that young people want to go out and get battered every weekend? Uh, that's what the Chemical Brothers are about. And um, the Chemical yeah.
1: Brothers are fucking great. I, I mean, I, is, forgive me. Is that the album with block rock and beats on it or is that not that album?
3: No. Okay.
1: That is the uh, I, next album, correct?
3: Yeah, Exoplanet Dust, I guess like, I mean, if if we had to like say whether or not there was any Britpopish songs on it. Mm-hmm. Tim Burgess from the Charlatans does appear on the album uh in uh, Life is Sweet. Uh but like Leave Home, it's like a it's like a pretty chill album. Um it has that uh wonderful Beth uh, Orton Alive Alone song. So um no, this this is certainly not uh the Chemical I mean, the, Brothers album coming out of the gates like hitting everyone hard, but it was a great album. Dig Your Own Hole was the next hole. Dig that's funny it, that's where it was, yeah. Well I find it up in ninety seven. That was the big hit album. And and then in ninety nine they
1: have uh Left Forever Surrender. B with uh, that the song Left Forever B with Noel Gallagher uh, Oh, that's right. is on that album. Um so they're I mean, they are definitely cross-pollinating for sure. Like they're they're trying to kind of mix all those sort of things together. Yeah. Um so number four, I have Elastica. Uh, we talked about it a little nice. bit earlier uh it's it's just it's a great album um it's just it's it's such a tight power powerful album um i just love it they i mean to your point i, I think they did a follow-up what like 15 years later or something like that it was crazy they just and then that didn't really have any songs on it no one really cared but it, it it is their self-titled is is an amazing incredible album and and i yeah that, that's why it's on my on my list what's your number four
3: I, I, sorry, I wanted to talk about that album. Oh, sorry. It it was, it was so great. Uh, It was, uh, I mean, it was also, I think, an album that got people. uh, One great thing about Britpop and I think of the era is that it made us, a lot of us, us, a lot of music listeners to, look back to back catalog to listen to old like madness and elvis costello albums and discover like the kinks and and Mm -hmm. these sort of other bands that we otherwise like you know and and i think elastica sort of opened the world to this other sort of late 70s uh sort of punk movement uh wire and all these other bands i mean there's certainly songs which are just almost note for note ripped off on that elastica (laughs) album and i think i'm okay with that (laughs) but uh can you pull up a song right now? Is it just just for your own reference? Is this possible? Uh, sure, absolutely. Uh, which song do you want? Just pull up the Three Girl Rumba. R-H-U-A, three Girl Rumba by Wire.
1: Oh, oh, sorry. You want me to pull it up? I'd sorry. Uh, what was it? Three Girl. Yeah. There you go. Three Girl Rumba. Okay. Let's just uh, hear uh, do you want me to play it? Just press
3: it. play. Just, just, just. Get oh a my god. That's
0: crazy. <laughs>
3: We'll have to add this in post production. Anyway, if you're listening at home, I don't think we're, this is not coming over the thing right now. That's fine. But just check out that. That was, uh, that, so clearly, you know, connection had some issues when that song came out. That's uh,
1: fucking crazy.
3: <laughs>
0: that's like crazy. crazy. Yeah. Yeah, Did they,
1: right?
3: I mean, I'm assuming they had to pay them, right?
1: I think something must have happened. That yeah. is really crazy. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> But I do like that, uh, and, I, and I'm sure people know this piece of trivia, that that, uh, that the noise of that voice is uh, him saying Luke, it's uh, Darth Vader saying Luke backwards, that ooh, is, is, oh, yeah. is him saying
3: uh, Luke backwards. I'm sure they had to pay George Lucas for that too. Uh, Sounds
1: like
3: that's probably why they didn't release anything else for the rest of the decade. <laughs> they couldn't afford to. Uh, what's your number four? There was an out-of-court settlement, by the way, with Wire. I just looked it up. There you go. Uh, Number four. So I kind of cheated on this one, too. (laughs) Are you serious? Shut up. (laughs) So I put three albums as my number four. Oh, for fuck's sake. Okay. uh, Sure. But but they're all from the same band, and I just sort of wanted to clump three albums together because uh, none of, again, which are necessarily Britpop albums per se, Mm -hmm. but they're the first three albums from Saint Etienne. Uh, so fox bass alpha 91 so tough 93 and tiger bay 94 Uh, i feel like uh saint etienne was a uh, female fronted band uh with these two djs that were writing most of the music that were more sort of in the late 80s early 90s club scene okay uh you know probably reflecting like you know vogue madonna era more so than brit pop uh but uh um, you know famously did a, a neil young cover of um only love will break your heart and uh were certainly a, a part of of the scene but that's that, scene, that but song but was huge that
1: cover was it was, it was, was, a it very was massive yeah it's
3: a great uh, but the rest of their stuff being you know quite dancey uh but it's again uh much like the chemical brothers as i'm like gobbling up all this like oasis and and uh pop stuff uh i was i feel very fortunate to like you know have been listening to like dance music stuff like that as well sure so i i hold those albums in high <clears> regard <throat> uh
1: so my number three um it's oasis is what's the story morning glory uh it's it's a it's a good album i, I mean I, I it's the only album of oasis that i ever really listened to and i don't listen to it that often but um it's a very good album and 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 it does feel sort of quintessentially of this moment um you know it's it was the biggest album of this movement if we're being honest in terms of, if, if record sales are are an indication of anything but
3: um yeah so that's that's uh that's, i feel I, I definitely feel like at the time we, we had to pick sides yes and uh you know yes. i don't think at the time we were as big maybe uh the oasis fans that we no we've no, become no today. But, well
1: uh, no I'm, I'm i'm not really an oasis fan today i mean I, i'm i
3: You just put it on your top five favorite Britpop albums.
1: I I did. But first of all, like we're talking about Britpop albums and of this movement, that album will be on that list for me anyway. But I also think that I didn't put any Blur albums on there because we were talking about Blur and I absolutely would would have slotted Blur into that slot over Oasis. It just, that was how they got it by default. Um, Your number three, you said, was Train Spotting. My number two is Suede's coming up. Um, I just think it's a, I think it's a, really really great album uh I, I think it's there isn't a bad song on it I don't know They're, I mean Brett Anderson's lyrics are unbelievably stupid but uh <laughs> but it's just it's just great jams and he's trying so hard to be David Bowie it's hilarious but yeah. you know I, I I just for this for this movement and for this uh for this genre of music I, I I I would argue there's only one other album or
3: one other band that that beats them so I feel like You know, we were talking and I think that album coming up is definitely falls into that uh, phase three era (laughs) of what I call peak Britpop. For sure. For sure. And so this is like where a band is so self-aware that they're creating a Britpop album, you know. (laughs) But I think the glam rock sensibilities on that album make it okay and make it so much better. Yeah. So like. And for suede, it was sort of like a different sounding, like you know, like they're 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 pushing themselves a bit more on that album. I mean, it's just like a stupid fun album, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty shallow. But <laughs> no, it's such a good album. Yeah, it's yeah pretty... I mean, it, it's it's undeniably fun. What's your number two? So I kind of cheated on my number two. I'm shocked. Well, this actually. Okay, so it's a, two albums. Uh, oh and they were back-to-back. They came at, it, within a year of each other, uh-huh. uh, same band, uh, and a, they were released as sort of like uh, antithesis to uh, Britpop albums, although they totally fit in into the same vein, and that was the first two uh, albums from Super Free Animals, Welsh band. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Fuzzy Logic and uh, Radiator. Um, I mean, again, just like I think uh, sort of... Taking the genre, pushing it into these different directions of psych rock, stoner rock, mixing and glam, lots of synth stuff. And again, sort of like opening, opening the door, bringing this whole sound into a new direction. And, and it's not just like guitar-based stuff, but definitely rocking hard. I love those They're, a,
1: they're a very yawn band. For sure. Like a band that I associate with you, obviously positively, not negatively. Thank um you. in the sense that like they weren't a they were a band I didn't really know much about and certainly was exposed to them through you. And and um, you know, they would continue to do really, really interesting work moving forward. I mean, I think Gorilla's a great album and Rings Around the World. Rings Around the World, is that the
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Rings Around the World is probably my favorite album, but it wouldn't yeah, have yeah, I mean, no, that would have been yeah. too far of a stretch to call that Britpop. Pop. For at that sure, point, for sure. Like a two thousands era.
1: But yeah, that album that's an incredible album um yeah they're they're a really 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 interesting band that that i don't know that they've ever really broken through uh in north america but um you know well, the
3: singer uh griff reese uh Mm -hmm. does a lot of solo stuff and plays like really like quaint small shows here uh oh, cool. that are awesome to go see and i, I think it's you know if, if the band itself super free animals tour they 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 played a relatively big audiences but again like yeah 96 97 uh i think during that like peak brit pop era they were they released these two albums and it's kind of like it's kind of like making fun of how seriously these bands are taking themselves you know which which is great that's yeah
1: i mean i i i, I they're a band I'll say this: This episode is going to make me re-listen to a lot of stuff, and they are definitely one of those bands that I want to kind of
3: dig back into because I think they're tremendous. But uh, my number—I I just realized—I I guess we yeah? can't really put out uh, the playlists, or also be kind of like a spoiler for the one person that listens to this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, we
1: can, we can, we can put some stuff together. We can put some lists together, perhaps some playlists. We'll figure it out. All right, but um, my number one is uh, Pulp's "His and Hers." um interesting i uh yeah i mean i i love Pope. um that album i think is the album that feels like that the whole album works for me it feels the most sort of um it all kind of comes together as an album for me i really love different class and I, i do really love this is hardcore but his and hers just feels like um they're 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 firing on all cylinders um and i i
3: really love that album did you discover that album after Different Class? I did. Or did I you... did.
1: It was, it was uh, uh, yeah. My entry point for Blur was Different Class with uh, with um, Common People and, and Disco 2000 in particular. Um, and I listened to that album, you know, all the way through, you know, relatively frequently. But His and Hers is an album that I think actually works all the way through stronger for me.
3: Lip Gloss, Babies, Do yes. You Remember the First Time, Hits. Uh, yes. Joy Riders is maybe my favorite. I mean, it's acrylic afternoons. It's just great. It's just a great album. Uh, what's your number one? I'm
1: sure it's not a Britpop album. and I'm sure there's five of them, but uh...
3: I I think this is actually I think a quintessential Britpop album. Okay. So I I did not cheat for the last one because cool, cool, cool. Uh, I actually made like a list of what are the definitive Britpop albums probably. And I I, and and so I just want to quickly get that over with. Okay. so I think it's like, what's the uh, what's the story? Morning Glory, Different Class, Park Life, Elastica and Urban Hymns, which funny enough, uh, you have a few of those. That to me was like classic, Uh probably not my favorite. Yeah, those are like the classic. Uh My favorite uh, and I think the most exciting when it came out and I was of the right age was Supergrass, I Should Coco came out in 1995, Uh, Was just like jolt of fucking energy what was crazy was the band uh were one or two years older than we were like they weren't even some like old man band putting out <laughs> right and out like they were like teenagers getting arrested for doing drugs and singing about it and uh it, i mean it was just like it was huge it was it was such a bolt of energy
1: it's 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 a tremendous album they're a tremendous band and and uh they absolutely would have probably been in my top 10 i i i I did sort of, I danced around Supergrass a little bit, but it, I, I thought I would have felt like a poser if I did it. Quite honestly, like I don't, do, I don't go deep enough on them to be able to say like this. I just, I wanted it to, I wanted to make sure that I was picking stuff that I felt like I could actually defend. And I really love Supergrass. I do. Uh, I just don't know them well enough to be able to say like this is for me that album or that band or that song. So it's not anything against them.
3: Um, I just wish that I knew them better. Did you know that Steven Spielberg wanted to make a show like The Monkeys starring Supergrass? I would absolutely have watched that show. That 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 That's is crazy. Crazy bullshit. apparently I mean, if you Google that, there's like there were talks in the mid 90s of Spielberg producing a supergrass doing the monkeys type show. That would have That's- been insane and <laughs> incredible. Yeah. Um yeah.
1: well, this was this was great, Jan. I, I hope you had fun. I'm glad that we recorded
3: this conversation for nobody. Uh, <laughs> it's not how, for nobody. How, how, I guarantee you that that uh, at least a thousand people will listen to this. Uh huh. What? Well, how are we gonna name it? Are you? you, you I mean, I feel I'm gonna like call like it the death know. of Britpop. Slash Blur oh, thirteen. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. Death of yeah. Brit pop's good. Yeah, because if it's just like about Blur thirteen, nobody's gonna like phone no. it in for like you know Bugman or whatever. So.
1: Also, we talked about thirteen for five minutes,
2: yeah. um, <laughs> so <laughs> there's that.
1: Um, but you're gonna come back uh, for our upcoming mini um, which I haven't re- uh, revealed yet. So, but you're gonna come on for an episode of that, so uh, we can talk about our um, our relationship with that character uh, and that uh, that television show which i love look it. forward to love it. and um uh thank you to obviously please rate review subscribe thank you for listening but uh, thank you to yawn we very infrequently get to thank him in person for uh the theme and the theme music and for our art and for his support uh of our podcast and you make it
3: sound like i financially support you which no I you you emotionally support more. <laughs> yeah
1: um and uh thank you to emilio You're for doing off for for doing our social media for uh, Ernie for uh, handling our, our production and um, that's all we got we'll see you next week thanks bye thanks guys podcast
0: like it Just podcast like, it. Podcast like it's 1999. 1999 podcast like it. you podcast like it 1999,
2: 1999. <laughs>